Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here today to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 258, the February 1990. We're kind of in the 90s. Uh, December, on sale December 5th of 1989. No, we're not in the 90s yet. <laughs> it's cover price of a dollar. This one's titled Broken Chains. It's got 23 pages. Well, it's got 23, 23 real pages and then 32 comic pages. It's a, so it's, it's a lot of advertisements. Like eight or nine pages of ads. Yeah, the cover of this one is Wolverine in his underwear slashing around at Mandarin, but... I did not realize that this was Mandarin until just now. <laughs> How many times have you read this issue? I don't know. This is one of those issues where it's like, well, in order to get to the next part, I got to read this issue. So really? I, yeah, I don't know. This one, I, I, this whole, this three part, um, uh, Psylocke, uh, storyline never did anything for me. Like it connects us from the, you know, Australia to whatever's happening next, and that's neat and fun, uh, but I just never really cared for any of this. I, well, we're jumping ahead to the end, but uh, I, uh, I, this is, this is the, this, this third part is where the story gets held together for me. The first two parts, especially the first part, the first part I was confused. <laughs> the second part was mostly just kind of fun because it was Wolverine and Jubilee doing stuff. And then the, the this part is where it all came together for me, and I was like, "Yeah, this is this was a fun issue." Yeah, I mean it. Yeah, I don't know. It um, and I like this cover too. It's a good cover. Uh, it's Jim Lee and Scott Williams at so, their peak. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all downhill from here. Yeah. Uh, I mean it's a it's a good drawing of Wolverine. Um, I would totally wear this as a T-shirt. I don't know. Wouldn't people just be like, "Who's that guy with the helmet?" And then you'd be like, Mandarin. <laughs> it's Mandarin. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know that he's going to be in, he's mean, supposed to be in a movie. Iron coming. Man 3? Yeah. But uh, wasn't that fake Mandarin? Yeah. So there's like a, there's like a short film. I think, I think it's on YouTube where that Mandarin there, it implies that he's not the real Mandarin. Right. And that there's another more real Mandarin. He was, until the whole, you know, pandemic uh, uh, came about, He he Mandarin was in one of the movies slated for the next couple of years. But I don't know what But a different one. Mandarin? Yeah, like, like an actual Asian Mandarin and not, um, uh, what's his face? Gandhi. Yeah, not Gandhi. Yeah. What's his name? Uh, Gandhi, you're, you're right. No, but who's the actor? I have no idea. Wasn't House it? of Sand. House of What? <laughs> He was in a movie called The House of Sand. We can just name movies that he was in. I can't think. He was think... in Gandhi. He was in House of Sand. He was in Iron Man 3. He was in a Sigourney Weaver movie uh, that, uh, it's going to be hard. So this is my record. in the Mist? No. <laughs> no. Uh, where she is like a former psychiatric patient. And I love this game. <laughs> a doctor was giving her, was... And like mentally torturing her or like keeping her repressed or something like that. And this guy shows up. It's Gandhi. It's the guy whose name we can't think of. And uh, to to her house with her current husband. And she keeps going to her husband like, that's the guy. And he's like, no, no, no. That's that's this, that's somebody else. That's he, Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley. Isn't Ben Kingsley Mandarin? 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. And Gandhi and the guy and from Gandhi. the movie. I, what did you just look it up and, on IMDb? No, I didn't. I just remembered it as you were describing the story of the uh, Sigourney Weaver movie that I don't think I've ever seen. Oh. But I definitely don't know what it is either. Okay. Well, anyways, it's a it's a good movie. House of Sand is a movie with Jennifer. Um, oh, what's her name? Oh, it's another person that I don't know the name of. Jennifer Connelly. Yes. Really? Yeah. Oh, neat. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, where she moves into a house and the uh, Ben Kingsley's family has to get move, move out of the house, but they don't want to leave. So they kind of fight a, they fight a little battle. And it's, it's an intense little story about immigration. And, and uh, you don't really know whose side to take. Isn't there another movie with Ben Kingsley where he and his family are like really poor and he keeps like hanging out with like this moderately wealthy woman, but then like leaving his kid, like neglecting his kids. And he keeps like, oh, I got to do this so I can make our family some money. Mm, I don't know. Uh, I can't really. It seems like a weird premise for a movie, but I recall that being Ben Kingsley as well. He's a versatile actor. We, we've we've remembered a lot of movies that we don't remember the names of. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, if anybody out there knows what we're talking about, please let us know. Uh, anyways, uh, he was Mandarin, but a fake Mandarin. And now right. who knows? Because I wonder if like this whole pandemic has like scrapped Marvel movies. Altogether? I don't know about altogether, but uh, I just wonder if... I, I can't imagine going to a movie theater ever again. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I mean, there's there's been like a drive-in renaissance happening, which is yeah, kind of interesting. That's neat, I suppose. Um, and then everything's just going to come straight to your TVs, which is kind of great. So I just wonder if, you know, can you make a, a hundred or four hundred million dollar movie and put it on Apple TV and make your money back? Or do you have to like scale it back to like 30 million dollars? I don't know. Yeah, I don't um, know either. It's a, it's an un, unexplored world, and they do charge like twenty bucks for those movies. Oh, I I'm, suppose. Um, I suppose. Which is, I guess, the equivalent of two people going to go see a movie at the movie theater. I didn't even really consider like the straight to Disney Plus for rental, and then maybe six months later making it free or not free, but for for subscribers to watch. So all of the all of the movies that are in quote unquote in theaters now are available to watch on Amazon right now for twenty bucks, and I'm like, no thanks. But then the new Christopher Nolan movie is coming out soon, and I have a love hate relationship with Christopher Nolan. I love some of his stuff, and I hate most of it. <laughs> Even the stuff that I love, I kind of hate. <laughs> okay, but he's he's an, he's a valuable filmmaker. I think he's he, whatever he puts out is worth watching. So that is going to be the first thing that I plunked down my $20 for, is what, his new movie. What was that movie where Christian Bale was super skinny? I like that movie. That was the movie he did, like, in between the Batman movies. Oh, was that in between Batman? I didn't realize that. So he was, like, he bulked up for Batman, then he lost all his weight for that movie, and then he bulked back up for the next Batman. Yeah. Just like, that's crazy. That's got to be, that's got to be bad for your body. Well, he said there was an interview with him with uh for ford versus ferrari where prior to that movie he said oh, i'm not gonna do that anymore and then i guess he did something for ford versus <laughs> ferrari. i don't know if he put on a bunch of weight or lost a bunch of weight but he did it one more time and i just can't imagine that's healthy for a body yeah but i mean you know he, he's a good performer so was it like machine or something like that the machinist ah the machinist yes okay i never saw it but yeah oh, I, I remember 
it uh, it has some very striking visuals either in the poster or the trailer or something. So I know I know what you're talking about. Somebody was like, hey, you like that Batman movie? You should see The Machinist. I was like, okay. And I was like, yeah, that was pretty good. That had nothing to do with Batman. I mean, not at all. But I think it was more like you like the tone of uh, of Christopher Nolan and you like Christian Bale. This is probably up your alley. Hmm. He was the same person that introduced me to 24-Hour Party People, which is also an excellent movie. Nothing to do with what we were just talking about, though. I've never seen that movie, but I think for a while I owned it. It's worth a watch, especially if you liked 80s new wave music or new wave or new age. New wave. I did. Yeah. I did, but much too late. I didn't like 80s new wave music until the 2000s. That's fine. I think you would you would watch this movie and be like, oh, man, I really missed out on a scene. But I think the scene was in England, so you know it wasn't going to happen for you anyways. But the point <laughs> yeah. is, is they, they do a, I don't know, they do a pretty good job recreating the environment and the feeling. And then of course all the music is there and it's fun. It's a good movie. I like it. It's that movie and, and the 200 cigarettes or 500 cigarettes or whatever it is. I've never seen that either. And they, I think they came out at the same time and I wanted to see both of them or something. I don't think That's, I saw that one, but I did see coffee and cigarettes. That's the one I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Coffee and cigarettes with Bill Murray and yeah. Tom Waits and it's, it's not Corey really loves in it with them. It's like, it's like five right. or six vignettes. But yeah. it's fun. I don't know that there was a script. I think uh, Jim Jim Jarmusch, right? I think he just shot yep. film and he put these characters in booths with coffee and cigarettes and said, "You sh- like, I don't know. Here's your motivation. Go." Hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. could be interesting. There's a really good conversation between Tom Waits and Iggy Pop, which is all about them like having quit smoking because I think in real life they had quit smoking and. And then they're like, oh, you know, one of the great things about quitting smoking is, you know, you can you can just have one every now and again. And, <laughs> and each one of them's like, yeah, you yeah, you really can. And then they start they, but then they start chain smoking as they continue <laughs> their um, coffee and cigarettes conversation. It's a good movie. So, anyways, this has been uh, movie talk with Adam and Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, uh, this 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 issue is called Broken Chains. <laughs> Lest you forget, we're talking about a comic book. Yeah, it's Christopher. Christopher. It's Chris Claremont uh, writing. Jim Lee is the penciler. Scott Williams is the inker. Tom Orzakowski is the letterer. Glynis Oliver is the colors. Bob Harris is the editor. And Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. The first page is a full-page white spread of Wolverine in a loincloth. Um, Wolverine in a loincloth with no background whatsoever. Almost as if they're doing some sort of deprivation of the senses if you will (laughs) kind of and he's thinking to himself you know he's at rest harmony peace and spirit all he's left with is thoughts and then you turn the page and get these stark thickly uh inked uh panels and uh, the dialogue goes and they are mad and wolverine screams he gets taken over by venom it kind of looks like venom takes him over and we flip our attention back to Psylocke. He screams, he fights. So now she's sitting on top of the sensory deprivation uh, chamber that I think another psychic was when, Mr. When, when she was going through this process. Yep, exactly the same setup, except now she's outside of the tank. So you got the scuba divers, and they're keeping track of Wolverine. Wolverine's upside down. Sensory deprivation. Dep- Depri- sensory deprived uh, for some so, reason jubilee is there <laughs> this doesn't make a ton of sense right because it's uh the guy whatever his name is tetsuo um, tetsuo kind of observing which that's fine that makes sense but jubilee's just there like 
What are you doing to him? <laughs> Stop it. Sensory deprivation, a shattering experience for anyone. Even the telepath Psylocke could not defend herself against it. But for Wolverine, whose essential being is grounded in the data provided by his physical sentence, infinitely, incalculably, incalculably worse. Can you imagine, dear Jubilee, why you're here? I came, I brought you here to show you this, I guess. <laughs> I don't, yeah. You're a slime, you know that? <laughs> and you, child, are impertinent. But not for, for long. So then the second stage begins. Wolverine's again uh, kind of from a faraway distance in the top right-hand corner of the page uh, in his meditation pose. But then we zoom into those stark, thick panels. And now they're red and Wolverine's bubbling up with boils and, and starts, I don't know, tearing away at his flesh and... And says, tearing everything away from me that represents a man giving full vent, perhaps for the first time in Wolverine's adult life, to the beast. This is pretty intense. I mean, I wouldn't want this to happen to me. No, there's there's all sorts of skin bubbles on him. He's a, a he's a mess. Pretty pretty grotesque. There's some good drawings. Next page is kind of cool. Uh, the first page, anyways. I'd like to see an entire book that's drawn with just this uh, white black and red uh, scheme with the heavily darkened inks. I feel like it could be a really good uh, graphic novel. I feel like Jim Lee did something like that when he did Death Blow. Mm, it could be. But it's Wolverine kind of in his classic Wolverine pose, but angry and, and mad and big evil smile, claws drawn, hunched over, ready to hunt. And then the next panel, you have Psylocke still sitting atop the sensory deprivation chamber, and she's essentially doing the same Wolverine pose, uh, although sitting. And uh, you get the feeling that she is kind of absorbing his psyche into herself. Yes. They're, they're linked, perhaps. But this is maybe may part of the uh, process. Or as Tatsuo says, consider it, consider it an act of vengeance. Meh. <laughs> Wolverine single-handedly decimated one of the great houses of, of the hand, and now we're here to repay the debt, so that's why we're doing all this. Do you think there was a mandate from Marvel that was like, okay, we're doing Acts of Vengeance, so make sure you say Acts of Vengeance or Act of Vengeance or something related to that in every issue that you have that is a part of Acts of Vengeance? Because I feel like every single issue mentions mm -hmm. Acts of Vengeance. I never noticed it when I was younger, but I think since we've been covering it and we've been reading just about all of the acts of vengeance comics, it's really stuck out like a sore thumb. I know when Jim Shooter was editor in chief, there would be mandates from the editor in chief that says you must feature this phrase in your comics this month. And all the comics would have the same phrase. Um, huh. like, uh, he lives in a world that isn't his own or something stupid like that. Sure. Um, and then they they would have to do that because they had this kind of mandate from Jim Shooter on my, uh, uh, from up high. So I'm wondering if the Axe of Vengeance has a similar kind of mandate. Make sure you bring up Axe of Vengeance. I don't care how you get it in there, but it's got to be in there. Yeah, I don't I don't know if the the note on the corner of the comic book that says Axe of Vengeance isn't enough that they have to do it in the book to remind you that oh by the way you're reading a chapter of Axe of Vengeance. <laughs> this doesn't seem like something that Chris Claremont would just put in his issue though. Oh, absolutely Consider it not. An act of vengeance. <laughs> absolutely not. This is probably the best way he could figure out to work it in. 
This was not his yeah. choice. Absolutely not. Um, why are you doing this? Jubilee asks, and that's the answer that he gives because of the unpaid debt. She says he's crazy. He says he's an artist. But no less brilliant or deadly because of it. Quite the contrary. And he grabs her in a chokehold, lifts her off the ground, and it looks like he's digging her, his thumb into her throat. It's pretty intense. Yeah. Um, you would think that she would have, like, a crushed larynx after this. and Well, you know, we don't know how quickly it happens. This only captures... Like maybe have a like a half second grasping. Sure. So she's probably sore, but uh, presumably can still breathe. Meanwhile, in the background, there's one guy up on a scaffolding whose head kind of explodes in one of those uh, psychic, uh, sick power signatures, and uh, one of the guys on the ground uh, by the controls is like, "Um, Psylocke's too powerful, and people are getting some residual psychic damage." Some of our more resonances she receives from Wolverine are in, are in broadcasting to us are beyond the capacity of even our strongest psychic dampers. So, yeah, I guess that guy with the flame coming out of his head is a psychic whose head is sort of exploding. Some of our more susceptible personnel are bound to be affected. And that's when I think the guy that was on the scaffolding comes flying down and attacks a bunch of ninjas saying, kill, 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 kill. Oh, yeah, that is that guy. I just realized that. And uh, that's when he releases, Tatsuo releases Jubilee, and she's like, now, ain't that a crying <coughs> shame? Yep. She says, now's the time to strike. So she does some fireworks, and she does some acrobatics, and she zips around, uh, flying all over the place, breaking some computers until she slides into Mandarin. And she kicks some butt of some ninjas, which, you know, I normally wouldn't buy, but these drawings of her flipping around and kicking stuff and sliding there's so much fun that i'm just like i don't i don't care this is fun uh, certainly a staple of jim lee is on the page where jubilee is leaping towards the us uh through yeah. the panel love it uh it'll probably get used too much but but absolutely <laughs> right and then the next where she grabs that ninja and kind of circles around using his head as like a pole and then slides under the other ninja um it's great action pacing there Chase, I love these Death Star floors. Ultra Gleam Polish makes them so darn slippery. And, uh, yeah, see, there she goes, sliding around, slides into Mandarin. Mandarin uh, doesn't look stupid. He doesn't have a costume on right now. <laughs> he's he's like a big buff dude in a suit with, like, a Fu Manchu. And reading the X-Men, I'm like, oh, man, Mandarin. This guy's, look at him. He's definitely, like... A person, but then you go read Captain America, and you're like, it's kind of lame. There is wisely no mention of his recent loss at the hands of the Avengers. No, not at all. So I had never read any of those other books. My only introduction and knowledge of Mandarin was from the pages of the X Men, and I just thought, like, oh, okay, so he's kind of like a kingpin guy, just like super muscly and like good looking and and rich and and just runs, I don't know, uh, Hong Kong. I guess. I mean, that was my impression. I don't actually know what he does. I don't really know what he does either. Um, I guess he the handwork works for him now. Prior to that, did he run something else? Who knows? I don't know. He's got rings, and I think he is an Iron Man foe. He's got ten rings, and each of the rings does something different. And, yeah, he is an Iron Man foe, and that's literally all I know about him. He has a ring that's like a mento something or other, and I don't like that term. 
You don't like freshness, Mentos freshness? I like Mentos freshness. I just don't like his, like, oh, his Mento intensifier ring. But that's to, in, uh, that's, uh, to in, enhance and intensify the freshness flavor. If that's what it does, and I don't think it is, I would be all for it. Mentos fresh and full of life is what he shouts when he uses that ring. <laughs> Jubilee is cutting loose with some 4th of July uh, display, but that's when Mandarin uses his Mento intensifier ring to pacify her. How sad to behold a daughter of the Middle Kingdom so sullied by the mongrel ways of the West, referring again to the fact that she's Asian as of last issue. Mm-hmm. Continue. You are here, young child. There may yet be hope for your redemption. In the meanwhile, my Mento intensifier ring. He does shout that. Says, yeah. Will give me dominance over your psyche and ensure your proper behavior. And then a bunch of ninjas come up and they're like, I don't know, they didn't get the memo that they work for uh, the Mandarin, so they attack him and he has to knock him down. I feel like these these are like pretty low key, washed up ninjas. They're not that impressive. They're one day away from retirement, ninjas. <laughs> the, the hand has seen better days. Yeah. How dare you attack me, the Lord of the Sacred Rings, in his own house? And he, there's some action where he takes out all these ninjas. And he's kind of, he's, a, he's like a badass here, using his powers and kicking people. And In the X-Men, everybody can fight ninjas. It's like so easy to do. <laughs> but I guess this, this just carries forward like, oh, Mandarin's a cool guy. Like, look at all the stuff he can do. He's the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. This must be one of his two towers. I don't know. Uh, so Tetsuo, or yeah, Matsuo. Tetsuo is, what's that from? There's a movie. Oh, it, it is Matsuo. Yeah. Okay. We were calling him Tetsuo, but that's from a movie. Tetsuo. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to remember that. I can't remember what the rest of the title is, though. Anyways. Oh, is that the guy from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles who was Shredder's sidekick, Tatsuo? I don't think so. I'm going to say that's what it is. Because that's, that's, that's where my brain would pull it out of. Tatsuo, what are you doing? I am fighting the rat. Oh. <laughs> is it from the cartoon? No, it's from the live action movie um, from the 90s. Hmm. There's a movie called Tatsuo the Iron Man, which was a Japanese cyberpunk film from 1989. Feels I haven't worth, seen that. Feels worth checking out. A cyberpunk cool, film though. from 1989. Yeah, that, Tune in next list. week and Jeremy will have watched it. I don't know. I might. It seems intriguing. I want, I want your review of Tatsuo, this cyber guy, whatever you said it was. Iron Man. And then if you, if you like it, oh, why couldn't I remember the Iron Man? Uh, then I will I will also watch it. And then you will get my review in the following week. Okay, I'm bookmarking it. The, the challenge is on. The game is afoot. Uh, uh, suppose the Davids, Lynch, and Cronenberg. That's like what it says in the poster. Doesn't make any sense. Suppose the Davids, Lynch, and Cronenberg got together and had a baby. Oh. It would be Tatsuo. The Iron Man. Okay, that's the bold text. And then the rest of the text goes on. In their early 70s avant-garde days and collaborated on an early draft of Terminator 2 and decided to shoot it in Japan, home of Godzilla, manga comic strips, and post-nuclear nuclear mutation. 
Now they're just throwing in stuff that has nothing to do with the movie. Oh, by the way, Japan is the home of Godzilla. It has nothing to do with this. I don't know. I'm expecting like <laughs> I'm expecting uh, monsters, mutations, and robots. With that, what a cheat! Uh, dazzling, a wild, dark, surreal fantasy. Oh man, it's happening! I'm gonna <laughs> get my hands on this and, and check it out. I want to know how this is. It sounds interesting. <laughs> Anyways, I, I, what, it, was was did David Cronenberg and David Lynch stop doing avant garde after the seventies? I mean, the answer is no. I don't mean they got less avant garde. Maybe not. I don't know. I mean, think well, about Lynch. If anything, got more avant garde. Cronenberg. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe Cronenberg is a little bit less. Think of like movies after Eraserhead are, in my opinion, outside of maybe Twin Peaks, the the re return less avant-garde now that's not lost a criticism highway. Not lost a criticism. highway is pretty avant-garde right. mall and drive is pretty avant-garde and island empire is super avant-garde all right you, you just named like three lynch movies i haven't seen oh you should see those. <laughs> those are all good okay you gotta see lost highway that's like his best movie which one's the one where everybody complained about the volume is that lost highway or mall and drive oh it might be the volume it's got a soundtrack by rammstein so there, there are parts of it where it's very loud. I think Trent Reznor did the soundtrack. I, the way it was always described to me, and maybe this is wrong, is that one of the movies, the soundtrack, nobody liked it because it got it started quiet and then it ended loud, and then as a like a do over or an apology, the other movie was made. Oh, I don't know any of this stuff. I don't think any of them have a terrible soundtrack, and that it's too loud. Oh, I mean, in, I think in, it's. In, Inland Empire is a very difficult film. I would definitely not recommend jumping into that with a bowl of popcorn and a uh, nothing to do on a Saturday night. <laughs> what, is it like four hours long? No, it's it it just feels like it. Um, it's not it's not bad by any means. I mean, none of them are really bad, but it's like it's difficult. So you need to be prepared. Hmm. You need to be into that mindset of okay, I'm sitting down with a film that is not going to be easy. You know what movie I just watched that doesn't quite fit that bill, but wasn't exactly easy, uh, was Beneath the Silver Lake. Oh, I love that movie. Well, okay. I just saw that movie like a couple months ago. Oh, really? Okay. But, but I really liked it. Um, yeah. It's probably too soon to say I loved it, but I, I, I thought it was thoroughly enjoying. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. My point there is that I think that movie was not well received and I think if you're looking for like a straightforward narrative that connects all the dots, you're disappointed. I wouldn't call that an avant-garde film. No, I mean, I wouldn't either. I would just call it a, um, alternative way to tell a story. If that makes any sense. It doesn't follow a typical narrative thread. Yeah, for sure. And that's not a complaint. Um, no, it's not. It was, it was, I thought it was great. I thought it was fun. I need, I need, to, I need to see it again. Yeah, I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. I liked it. If you want to watch a uh, uh, kind of a bizarre movie, um, then again, it's probably, it, I could probably, it might be able to fit under the avant garde, but not really. When I think of avant garde, I think of things that are like super unusual. Um, like like that, that recent uh, movie, The Lighthouse, that's probably an avant garde ish film. I didn't see that. Um, that's all right. Uh, but the, the, you should check out, I think you'll like, uh, the greasy strangler, the greasy it's, strangler. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't even want to say anything other the titles. All you need to know just, it's weird, but it's like fun, weird. And, uh, if you're in the mood for fun, weird, it's a good time. All right. 
Let's add that to the list as well. <laughs> and it's not like, I don't know, it, it doesn't, like, there's a lot of stuff out now that feels like they're trying too hard because, like, shock value is the thing that's fun to try to do. We're back on the movie podcast. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, but this, I think, does it well enough where it doesn't feel like it's just trying to be pretentious. It feels like it's trying to tell its own story. Okay. And it's, it, 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 I thought it was good. Also, you'll be be quoting it for days. Okay. This movie, uh, not super well received either. Tatsuo? No, the greasy strangler. Oh, oh yeah. Well, okay. That makes sense. Not that that's a a thing to go by, but just interesting information. I'm, uh, I'm very curious to see what you make of the greasy strangler. All right. That'll be in two weeks. As our, as our, all of our fans, I can tell. (laughs) They're probably have to. They're probably going to have to run out and go see the Grizzly String of themselves, so they can either agree or disagree with you. The question is going to be uh, (laughs) Greasy Strangler or Tetsuo, the Iron Man. That's true. (laughs) That's the challenge. Which which one is a better film? (laughs) (laughs) The one that came out in 1989, or the one that came out in I want to say 2017, maybe 2016, according to the internet. Okay. It's fairly recent, so yeah. All right. Well, anyways, uh, Matsuo shows up and apologizes to the Mandarin. Sorry for letting my ninjas attack you. And then I guess he leaves because we never see him again. Yes. Yeah, they're done with his arc. Uh, back on Muir Island. Remember, remember there's, there's uh, the new X-Men on Muir Island. I should have flipped through. Is this the first time we're seeing them for the past three issues? Or do they have cameos in the last two issues i think they had a cameo in the last issue i think the last issue is where legion uh, oh it's where um forge was talking to banshee is like i want you to build me a, i want you to build me a secret back door ah uh, yes okay and then legion shows up and grabs lorna yes which is carried okay. on in this issue so i think i don't remember about two issues ago but certainly the last two we've had or this one and and the previous issue so that's interesting. We were speculating that Legion was controlled by the sh- someone. Uh, should I spoil it? Because I think it, it's made clear that it's not happening. But then again, maybe it's not. Maybe this gets retconned. I'd say it. I don't remember. Uh, I think we were speculating that Legion was being controlled by the Shadow King. Oh, you but, said uh, that. I, I wasn't aware of that thread. Okay. I was, I was kind of guessing based on the fact that Forge sort of battled the Shadow King a couple issues mm. earlier. But, but after this... Um, well, so he was, so Banshee is trying to, uh, challenge the new defenses that Forge has set up and he is unable to successfully do it. Um, cause the, For- the Forge is, Forge is a pro. Yep. He's, he's got his stuff all together and all his ducks in a row. If you know what I mean. I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, Forge like, I'm done. Your island's about as secure as my state-of-the-art technology will allow. So, we're secure. They have these new Jim Lee-designed outfits. Are these new? Well, they they talk about them like they're new. Um, I mean, they were... Sean says, they, it's these new uniforms. Call me an old fogey, Sharon, but they don't feel quite dignified. I guess so, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how new they are. They were all wearing X uniforms when they fought Freedom Force. And the Reavers. They had they had those weird magic uniforms that What's-Her-Name gave them. No, I mean, they had, like, like string bikinis for a second, but then they went to the their various uh, changing rooms and changed into actual X uniforms. Okay. And they, they yeah. so I don't know that, 
these are Jim Lee designed. They might be, I guess, Jim Lee enhanced, but they were wearing this, these when they fought Freedom Force. Sort of. They're a little bit different, I, and I don't know if it's on purpose or not. Um, so I flipped back to issue 255, and the, the, the main difference is that the shoulders are not yellow in mm. in the previous iteration. So I don't know. So... At any rate, Sean doesn't like them, but Sharon yeah. loves them. Sharon does. Aren't they wonderful? I just love them. They're so cool. <laughs> Forge and Banshee are walking by a sign that we zoom in on that says, Mutant decks extremely dangerous, access forbidden. So I get the impression that Forge designed these. The suits? Yeah, because he says cutting-edge threads for the cutting-edge team. Sure, sure. I don't know, Forge. Something feels wrong. Everyone seems affected. Moira, most of all. Save me and Lorna Dane. And Larna's nowhere to be found. And apparently she's behind the Mutant X Extremely Dangerous Access Forbidden Door. Because mm-hmm. uh, she's, she's, she's slamming on it. Isn't th- This is a callback to the first time we saw Proteus, right? Probably. Must be, I, I yeah. S- the sign... I seem to recall that sign. Yeah. I don't remember. Was it maybe Wolverine and Nightcrawler also walking by the same sign? Something like that. Must be. Lorna's inside, and she's slamming on the door, let me out. Uh, Legion shows up and says, no can do sweets. <laughs> Why does he sound like that? Because I'm Legion, and I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Legion, she says, why am I a prisoner? And that's when he, I don't think he turns forms. I think he kind of casts an image of Jack Wayne, one of his multiple personalities. Uh, did yes. we meet Jack Wayne in maybe the pages of New Mutants? We did. Okay. He was the one who was trying to kill Legion because he also harbored, um, I forget what race the person was. It's, Does it matter? Well, he was another race, so he was trying to kill him because he, did, he didn't tolerate other races. Um, I think it was, I think it might have been Muslim. Oh, interesting. Because it was fairly progressive for that New Mutants issue. Yeah, but could is, be wrong. Adam, is Muslim a race or is it a religion? That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, Hint, it's a religion. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I'm, just trying to, I'm just trying to remember. But, yeah, I, I, can't, even, I can't really remember it. Okay. Um, but I, I do recall that there was something like that where he was, uh, he was fairly adamantly racist and wanting to kill Legion because of that. Okay, well, anyways, he he apparently is one of Legion's um, personalities and, and tells Lorna that uh, as soon as I'm done, everybody on this rock's going to be under my mind, and then we're going to have some fun. I don't remember how it resolved. I feel like I thought Jack Wayne was like, hey, I guess I'm okay with everybody. We're all living under the same roof. We've got to work together. But maybe that's not what happened. My memory is just going. I get kind of, I mean... I don't know that we can rule out the Shadow King because, first of all, I don't remember how this resolves itself. But I'm pretty certain. I mean, the Shadow King is playing a part with the whole Storm storyline. Well, if we follow Legion, the TV series, we know the Legion is fairly tied in with the Shadow oh, King. Oh, that's right. I have only seen season one of that show. I would skip season two. Actually, okay. watch the watch the first and last episode of season two. Okay, because the first episode's pretty decent. And then the last episode, you'll be confused, but it'll be okay. You'll get through it. And then and then just watch the third season. The third season's pretty good. 
I mean, I, it's it's on my list. It, I mean, I think there's each season is maybe twelve or thirteen episodes, so it's not like a huge commitment or anything. The second season is a slog. Oh, <laughs> that's too bad. And it's not it's not bad. It's just well, I guess if I'm calling it a slog, it's bad. So yeah. Did you watch that new new X Men show or whatever it was called the the gifted, gifted or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. No, I never saw it. Yeah, same here. Okay, I was going to ask. I'm pretty sure it got canceled. and uh, Yeah, I haven't heard anything about it for, like, years. So <laughs> they're definitely not making it now. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, maybe I've said this already. I feel like maybe Marvel shouldn't make X-Men movies. And maybe they should just make some lower-budget X-Men live-action TV shows. I don't know that you've said that. Um, but that's a good idea. I mean... DC seems to be having more success with their TV shows than with their movies. Absolutely. But I would go a little higher budget than the DC shows. And I would go for, I don't know that we do this in the United States, but I would just go for like a six season or six episode season, six, like 50 minute episodes. Maybe your sixth episode is like an hour and 20 and that's, that's it. So I guess that's like about six and a half hours of content I just described. And then you could so just basically like binge it like movies. You could just like binge it like a six and a half hour movie. Uh, you could you could have a, a fairly substantial budget for that that amount of movies, and it would kind of suck to wait for season two, right? Because you'd be waiting, you know, ten and a half months for the next season to come out. But I think that would be okay. I think I would prefer that because then you'd be able to develop characters and origins, and you'd be able to do some some kind of crazy things that we've talked about wanting to see. Uh, that I just don't think you'd be able to get out of a two and a half hour feature film. I totally agree with you. Um, yeah. I, I think uh, I think no one's going to do that, but I think, <laughs> right. I think it's a great idea. And and definitely like budgets of TV shows are much higher now. So mm-hmm. probably what if they did end up going that route, they would do like eleven episodes, fairly high budget, and then like five of them would be fluff anyway, and you and yeah. or filler. So I agree with you that there should only be like six or something. Six just like tight, tight episodes that just leave you drooling for more and not just like, eh, I don't like episode seven, you know. <laughs> um, anyways. We, we, should do, we should do a review of the Generation X pilot that uh, showed up in the 90s. Or was it the 2000s? I don't even know. We could make but, that a we could make that a, a Patreon reward or a level. Uh, that's a good idea. Have you ever have you ever seen it? I've not, and I I think I've tried to get my hands on it, but uh, I've been unsuccessful. You can find it like fairly easily streaming on like YouTube and stuff. Oh, okay. But I think finding a physical copy yeah, is is pretty. I don't it might need, be possible. I don't need a physical copy. Ah. <laughs> Anyways, back in Hong Kong. Uh, We've, I guess, we've moved to Mandarin's villa, and uh, a servant has brought in a geisha-painted jubilee. You are much improved, young jubilation, in appearance and demeanor since last we met, says the Mandarin. Is that the first time that we're getting her actual name, jubilation, or do we even want to say that this is her name? Great question. I saw that myself, and I was like, huh, I wonder, like, did he just call her Jubilation because she's referred to herself as Jubilee? And he assumes question. that Jubilee is short for Jubilation. And in reality, it turns out that her name actually is Jubilation. I don't know. Don't know. 
At any rate, she says, uh, because he was speaking in Chinese, she responds, no speaky Chinese, only American. Which reminds me of, um, what was that kid in Indiana Jones? Short round? Yeah, short rounds. I, I hear short rounds of course saying that. He doesn't say that. No, he doesn't, but it would be something like he would say. No time for love, Dr. Jones. Yeah, it's kind of that <laughs> sort of broken English stereotype that is very uh, popular in this time. Yeah, short round was the best part of that movie. I like that movie. Eh, we've, it's, we've talked it's, about it. It's not my favorite. It's my favorite of the, the well, the four, if you want to even count the fourth <laughs> one. Can I tell you a story uh, real quick? Of course you can. <laughs> Uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is, is an okay movie. It's fine. Uh, it's fun. Uh, when I saw that in the theater, and I recall that movie being like, I mean, I, I guess at the time, probably one of the biggest summer blockbusters I'd ever seen. Um, and we were in the theater, and there was there's a scene where somebody flies an airplane through the tunnel and like the wings come off. And then I think it goes from flying to like driving under the tunnel. And it's like this action packed scene. Uh, and as a moviegoer, you watch that and you're like, Oh, that's, you know, that that's, that's a neat thing. I haven't seen that before. And especially back then it was practical. Um, although maybe some of it was green screened, but you know, no CGI there. There was a guy sitting behind us who was freaking out at the scene. <laughs> just literally like oh my god oh my god oh my god <laughs> was like, he was high <laughs> and I, I he was with his like wife and kids and i i was i don't know how over old i was when that movie came out like 11 12 or whatever and i kind of looked back i'm like really it's not that exciting <laughs> <laughs> he has scarred you to this day <laughs> i just i'll never forget like this guy was just like you 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 see like uh the the movie posters or like uh, like barf bags will be given at the the concession stand, uh, or people fainted when they saw this movie. And then you you've never seen anybody do any of that stuff when you've gone to a movie. This is the closest experience I have ever had to somebody like, like <laughs> physically and verbally reacting, and not like laughing because it was a joke at a funny movie, at an action scene. I had a very lively crowd during the the movie Speed, who reacted to just about everything. Like. But but in like a Rocky Horror Picture Show. Well, no, I I think they were really into it. I don't think they were making fun of it. It wasn't kind of a joking sort of thing. It was Speed had just come out, so it was. Uh, I think they were just. I don't think they had seen that kind of action film where it's just nonstop through the whole last half of the movie. Yeah, and they were just into it, hardcore. Wow, it, it made it kind of fun. I mean, memorable at least. Hmm. You know what? But you know the, what? Uh, Go ahead. No, you know what bothers me uh, at movies? People that talk? Well, absolutely. That goes without <laughs> saying. Uh, people that clap. Like at the end? Yeah. Or during? Or before. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind when people clap at the end, but people that clap during are kind of annoying. I, well, who are you clapping for? They're not there. There's nobody there to <laughs> receive that clap. It's more of a, like, a universal praise sort of thing where it's like, Hey, we're, a, we're we all saw this together, right? Yeah, we're a community. Let's all clap. <laughs> I don't know. You you clap for performers. You clap for somebody who's who's saying a song for you or just did a, a stand-up comedy set for you, um done a play for you. There um, is a guy that I work with. So we have uh, like every every Friday or every every so often 
everybody like people have to give up and give a little presentation where I work uh, just to go over whatever their department's working on or whatever. And this one guy, so we're, we're generally pretty kind to each other. And when they, no matter how dry it is, we always clap and say, you know, good job, whatever. This guy hates, hates clapping. So he, he refuses to clap as he's watching. If he ever has to speak, he gets up and he says, uh, don't, don't clap. Before I finish this, I just want you, you don't have to clap. Don't clap. And usually people clap anyway because they're kind of trained to. Mm-hmm. But he's just like, ah, oh, stop clapping. It's, it's just hilarious how anti-clapping he is. Oh, I'm not that anti-clapping. <laughs> I mean, we, we do the same thing at our various staff meetings where somebody gives up a presentation, no matter how dry or exciting it is. Yeah, uh, it, it's uh, it's it's respectful to to give them a clap because they they went up there they did a presentation in front of people they may not have felt comfortable they spent some time putting the material together right you owe it to them to give them a clap but if they uh, made a video and put the video on the screen and then walked out of the room <laughs> I wouldn't clap for that if they stayed in the room would you clap. Yes, because they are okay. there to receive, like, at a film festival, I think it's totally different. Like, if the filmmaker is in the audience or getting ready to do Q&A, then you clap because the person that created the thing you just watched is there to receive that accolade. So you have a particular set of consistent rules around clapping. <laughs> I'm all about rules. <laughs> like, when they, when, when uh, people clapped for the Star Wars movies, like, J.J. Abrams isn't there to hear that. <laughs> Maybe he was. Maybe he had all the, the theaters record. Now, if they said that at the beginning of the movie, if they're like, uh, by the way, J.J. Abrams is piped in and listening to your audience reactions, I would clap probably. I think that was just a thing where people were like excited. They were just like so excited. It's like, oh, yeah, this, make, this, this, this makes me feel good. I need to clap. Now, what I do get is when uh, the Phantom Menace first, like the opening day and nobody knew mm-hmm. how terrible it was going to be <laughs> and every, like the the 20th century uh logo came on and everybody cheered that i get right because that's 20 years of excitement and oh my god we've been talking about this and waiting for this that i get um but when the movie's over and like applauding for like well done job done like there's nobody to receive that well done hey so you don't like the fact that your claps go off into the void the, yeah it's a wasted clap well, I mean, I guess, but you don't. No one is. No one is telling you to clap, I, and I don't. I mean, do you have? Do you? Do you begrudge others for clapping? Yeah, do like, you just do you just roll your eyes and like you're wasting your claps, man. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you only are given so many claps for you know, the duration so, of your life. You got to. So you there's save a finite this. amount of claps, and when you run out, you die. Uh, it just becomes meaningless. Like, are you just clapping at everything now? Like, you got to save that for when it's actually meaningful. Well, that's like people who say I'm sorry all the time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're not sorry. You just, now you just you just say I'm sorry because it's it's a habit. Yeah, I I take issue with that as well. That's what clapping is. It's a habit for people. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> did you? So so I used to like Indiana Jones, uh, the the third one, hey, uh, Last on. Crusade. But before we move on, okay, we should bring a new type of clapping, and that is. If and when we ever get back to going out to restaurants, I think we should take it upon ourselves to clap after a really nice meal. (laughs) All right. You start it. (laughs) Because there is, you know, there's there is a chef, there is a server, there's potentially a manager, maybe even the owner is at the restaurant. And and you could stand up and be like, good show. Excellent show. And you could just maybe like 
when when the uh, when the man when the owner or the manager or whoever comes around and he says, "Hey, is everything okay? How's, how's your meal?" and you're like already halfway through the meal, if it's a good meal, you stand up and you give them an applause. <laughs> You don't. You don't even. You just look him in the eye. And you don't say anything. You just stand up and applause. I would nod at him as I was applause <laughs> uh, applauding. Wouldn't say anything, no, you, but just just nod and be like. You just, you just stare at him. <laughs> just just stare deep into his eyes, clapping yeah. until he's like uh, withdraws. Until he's frightened. <laughs> until he's like, you're gonna need to leave. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you were gonna say about Indiana Jones. So the third Indiana Jones uh, Last Crusade, I used to like I, when I saw it in the theater. I didn't have an experience with the whole plane going through the tunnel, but uh, I I loved it. I thought it was great. And then it was a few years later that I realized that it is beat for beat a remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark, but with different like but different enough to so you don't really even notice it. Hmm. But this it's the same kind of thing. And then um, the new one. Uh, crystal, crystal, whatever. Yep, crystal is like a beat for beat remake of Last Crusade. So it's just like they just keep like following this exact same formula, which worked really well for Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I get why they did it, and I think the the second one is like not not uh, hailed as a as a as a worthy successor, I guess. Yeah, I don't but know. I like that they tried something different and. And they had a literal cliffhanger, so that's fun. When I was a kid, I loved um, um, uh, the second one. Uh, Temple of Doom. Yes, Temple of Doom. I, I, I loved it. Uh, but then when I watched it as an adult, I was like, yeah, it's kind of a kiddie movie. It is kind of a kiddie movie. But, I mean, so is all of Star Wars, really. No, Star Wars is deep, <laughs> full of meaning. I have a lot to say about Star Wars, but we'll save that for a different podcast. We've done that podcast like three times. We've never talked really much. Uh, I guess that's not true. We've, But see, I think there's an endless fountain of conversation that I could go on and on and on and on and on and on. I know. About I, I Star Wars, too, Empire, but... and Raider, or Return of the Jedi. And I think we've just, I've only scratched the surface of of that in, in I think, our last, no, um, whatever the fifth one was. Sixth one, seventh one. Uh, Force Awakens? Yeah. Yeah, our Force Awakens was, was kind of about the four, five, and six. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But the time's got to be right. The time's got to be right. I, you can't just force it. So. I agree, but I also wonder, is it is it sad that I could talk about Star Wars forever? I think part of me thinks it is, but part of me also thinks it's kind of awesome. I don't know. Like, every, every now and then I start thinking about in the prequels and then these seven eight nine and just start thinking about like what made star wars empire and Ra- return of the jedi more specialer than those movies and that's where i just start thinking and going on and on and on i have an answer for you but i'm not going to do it because i don't want to go off on a tangent exactly for an we, we got to get we're <laughs> only on page 13 here yeah this is this is ended up being a long one we got a lot to cover acts of vengeance ends this episode oh thank god all right so uh jubilee's a geisha and she sticks her tongue out at mandarin yeah, um, yeah, it's it's cute. Yep, we get uh, we get you know they're kind of nailing it over the head that she is definitely Asian. In case you didn't catch it last issue, mm-hmm. which is which is good. Yeah, uh, I think it's. I I wonder if this was like Jim Lee's idea to just be. I I want her to be Asian, and Chris Lee Kellerman was like, yeah, okay, sure, 
Sure. Also, I want her last name to be Lee, like mine. <laughs> that doesn't come until later. I wonder if that comes when he's writing the book. I guess we'll find out. I don't know. Well, this, like, so you, so we know that, like, Chris Claremont is fairly involved in the writing of this, and then we know that he just kind of lets the artists do whatever they want to do. So I, I, I kind of want to wonder at this, at this point, like, because these last three issues have felt very different than everything that came before it. And I wonder how much the, that is the influence of Jim Lee just wanting to do a very specific type of story. I don't know. Uh, was 255? I don't think, I think that was a, a um, Sylvestrian Green. So, so we're on, which one is this? This is 258. Oh, I guess who did 256 then? So 256 was Jim Lee. Okay. And 257 and 258 are Jim Lee. And then Jim Lee goes away for a while. Sure. So, yeah, it very well could be like they sat down and Chris Claremont's He's... like, this is kind of what's going on in the X universe. What do you want to do? And these issues are more action packed than the Silvestri and Green stuff had been, maybe because that's the type of artist that. Jim Lee is. He likes to do these dramatic, dynamic poses. So, which issue had the introduction of uh, Asian Psylocke? Was that 256 or was it the end of 255? So, she is in 255 for like a panel. But I don't know that there's any clue in that that she is Asian. Mm. I think we just see the back of her head or something like that. Okay. Um, actually, we see her and she looks like Betsy Braddock. She's got the, she's got the purple hair. I guess she still has purple hair, but it's it's less. She looks less Asian in two fifty five. Okay, so one of two things happen. Uh, Chris Claremont's like, I'm going to do something different with Betsy. I don't know what or. They maybe they had their meeting, Jim Lee and Chris Claremont, and and uh, he went to Sylvester and Green and said, "Hey, we're gonna do this thing with Psylocke. Can you like don't make her look like Betsy Braddock? Like she's probably gonna be Asian or something, or just 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 make her look different. <laughs> or maybe it's all happenstance. Who knows? I don't know. Cause it, yeah, it seems based on the the one image of Psylocke in two fifty five that Sylvester and Green were not in privy to this change. Sure. Or, or maybe that's part of the point is that the hand actually physically changes her. Sure. Although, like we said in the last issue, Wolverine recognizes her and says that her face is the same. Mm. So maybe, maybe she's less Asian than we think she is, or maybe we just, maybe it's just not clear yet. I don't know. This whole thing is asking for a retcon. Anyway, Psylocke is uh, continuing to maintain her hold on Wolverine, who's still in the uh, deprivation chamber. Uh, and we kind of zoom into his mind. He's still doing his, um, I don't know, meditation. Meditation. Jean Grey shows up in her green and yellow cowl, so kind of the costume that he met her in. And then Mariko shows up, and then Yukio shows up, and then they merge into one Jean-Mariko-Yukio amalgam. So Yukio and Mariko look great. But why is Jean Grey doing like a sexy pose? I don't know. <laughs> it's very like like Mariko isn't doing a sexy pose, and Yukio is just looking like how she would normally look. Uh, um, I mean, look at Mariko's leg though. It, like from the top up, she's definitely she's got her her 
robe and she's got her hands kind of in a prayer she's not revealing she's not really doing anything seductive or sexy but then you go down to her leg and it's like all leg and straps and everything you know what i didn't even realize that was a leg i thought that was just part of her robe now the other thing is like you could just say like these there's ribbons there's all these like black ribbons that are going around these three characters you could also just say that they're kind of morphing into one another as they go along and maybe that's actually yukio's kind of you know badass leather uh leg because she looks very domineering here she doesn't look sexy she doesn't look like she's posing she's just like oh no i'm in charge here well she looks like yukio you like yes. you would expect yukio to look like which is why i'm just confused why gene gray looks it, like i've never seen gene gray before she looks like a like a pinup pose yeah. yeah she's like doing a cheesecake this sort of thing absolutely i don't um, know it's it's just strange is this how wolverine perceives gene gray like probably that so then, dirty jerk. <laughs> she turns into this uh, amalgamation of all three of those characters and then like, climbs up on Wolverine and she's like, here I am, all three women you loved, one package, take what's yours by right, what you always wanted. Don't mind if I do, says Wolverine, and he pops his claws and slashes her uh, straight up the middle, I guess. Yep, and uh, she... Falls backward. Uh, no more games, no more masks, but he spells it M-A-S-Q-U-E-S. I'm wondering if he's talking oh. about the Morlock mask. <laughs> that is kind of weird. And I probably read this when I was 14, and I was like, oh, so mask is involved in this whole thing because <laughs> took everything very literally. Hmm. Maybe it's a it's a British s- spelling, or uh, isn't Chris Claremont a Wiccan? Maybe it's a, like a Wiccan spelling. Or maybe he says, no more masquez. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> if you've got the guts, face me yourself. And uh, slowly she drops the the, the disguise and it's, uh, it's Psylocke. It's Psylocke. No more masquez. If you've got the guts, face me as yourself. <laughs> and so she, she handily takes him out, kicks him in the face, kicks him in the gut, uh, and then gets her psychic knife out, which is the ultimate focus of all of her psi powers. Got to point that out. <laughs> I feel like Chris Claremont's like, okay, I got to mention that the psychic knife is a focus of her powers at least once per issue yeah. until people understand that. I just feel like it speaks for itself. It really does. Like, I mean, it's, I mean, it's good enough if she just says, in my in in its way, my psychic knife is as deadly a weapon as your claws. You totally skip over the part where she explains what it is. You don't need any of that. But I, I mean, I think. If this was your first issue and she didn't say that, you'd be like, oh, she's got like a weird energy knife. That's cool. And then maybe in four issues, she's talking to the professor, who's not obviously on Earth, but he's like, oh, it's the total concentration of your psi powers. Like, okay, that's cool. Oh, like, right. just, it's Every now and then, like, uh, Kirkman was really good about that in Invincible of not like beating you over like, by the way, he's invincible and he can fly and he's strong. It's a Claremontism, though. It's kind of like his. It's kind of his thing. Like he, I think he really enjoys doing that, or or somehow it, he feels like it's his hallmark. Not really sure. Sure. Or maybe he's like taking that thing that you always say that first comic. Stanley said that every comic is somebody's first comic, and he takes it really to heart. Every morning he wakes up and he's got this postcard that Stanley wrote to him <laughs> that says every comic might be somebody's first comic, and he looks at that and he's like, right. Okay. That's a pretty good Stan Lee. <laughs> Let me go to my writing table. This is the focus of my ultimate focus of my psi powers. Anyway, he, she stabs Wolverine in the face with her psychic knife, the ultimate focus of her psi powers, and it kind of backfires on her because 
she screams, and I'm guessing that she's uh, she's absorbing all of uh, Wolverine's craziness. And I think this is the part of the issue where I, when I've read it in the past as a kid and everything, uh, where I start paying attention because a lot of the confusing stuff goes away, and and we get kind of more straightforward stuff happening. It's action packed. Yeah, this is where the fun starts. So she does scream, and uh, the ghosts of Carol Danvers and Nick Nick uh, Fury show up. And Psylocke can see them, and she's like, what are you, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> and they attack her, and they're punching her, and, and I think they knock her down? Do they not? No, they don't knock her off of the... Yeah. But somebody off, off uh, who is down beneath the, uh, the chamber sees Psylocke fighting herself. Who's she fighting? No one else is there. Uh, it's kind of fun. Carol Danvers says, hi there. I'm Carol Danvers. He's Nick Fury. We're sort of figments of Wolvie's imagination. Lawyer, I can hear you and see you. Uh, the guy at the bottom of the page says, Summon Lord Matsuo. And then somebody else says, He's returned to his island. So that was his exit. <laughs> Did they not tip off everybody? <laughs> like you would think when Matsuo leaves, like people would know. You'd think so. Meanwhile, Wolverine's in the deprivation tank, and he, he thrashes around, and he breaks himself out. Scuba divers go flying. Wolverine's now escaped. That isn't very hospitable. Downright nasty, as a matter of fact. Sound the alarm. Jen into your post. The prisoner is escaping. And uh, Nick Fury starts shooting his machine gun out, and it starts hitting the the invisible bullets, start hitting the ninjas, and they fall to the ground, and someone says, Madness, there's no gunfire, but the Jen and fall fall as though shot. So I had just assumed that it was Psylocke mentally causing them to fall down yeah and i mean she says as much later on but yep uh and then we get this really really nice picture of wolverine heavily inked of him uh in his kind of ferocious uh loincloth and he says you've had your fun nikki now it's my turn no shouts i like the praise mine and so too the honor of the kill works for me darling and we get two tight panels of their faces and a third panel of just, I guess, blood against blackness. I guess. And then we cut to the next panel, and it's back at the Mandarin's house. And Psylocke is holding the body of Wolverine, which she dumps on the floor. Uh, Wolverine attempted an escape. I regret he will be of no further use, either to you or the hand. With, I mean, obviously some psychic trickery must be going on here, because there's no way she could carry Wolverine. <laughs> she's a badass ninja, I'll give her that, but she's not that strong. Maybe she drained him of his adamantium bones before, after she killed him. Maybe. <laughs> Mandarin's like, dispose of the remains uh, if you please. Jubilee says, no, no, no. And she explodes into a bunch of fireworks. Yeah, and it, 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 it explodes knocking Mandarin away, and the explosion goes outside of the castle, and then you cut way back to far outside of the castle where some citizens of the, I guess, China, wherever they are, uh, see it from far off in the distance. And these are like, these are some jubilee powers that I don't think we ever see again. She does say, holy moly, where did that come from? And I'm like, do I ever want to do it again? <laughs> so Not quite the opening we had planned, says Psylocke. And Jubilee says, huh? And Mandarin now puts on his goofy uh, outfit. And, uh, well, he's got it on the cover, so he's got to. Yeah. 
I don't know. I feel like he shouldn't have done it, but... Silox says, not quite the opening we had planned. Jubilee's like, huh? Huh? But them, as they say, is the breaks. And she attacks Mandarin, and Mandarin's like, oh, you betrayed me. It's the fight. I consider it more a thankful reversion to true type. And they fight. Psylocke does some cool ninja kicks. Evasion isn't necessary. Only survival. Hiya! Ninja kick! And Jubilee says, all right! All right! Which is awesome. She, Psylocke gets out her psychic knife, but she doesn't tell us what it is. And she gets ready to stab Mandarin, but Mandarin reacts and throws her, throws her back towards Jubilee. Your psychic knife is deadly mutant, or mentat, he calls her, only if it physically strikes its victim. Yes, she, he throws her into Jubilee. Um, does the, is this the origin of All Right, or has All Right been in comics before, or like... I want to know more about All Right. Is it in a movie? Where did this come from? All Right. All I feel right. like it's, it's made its way into movies. It feels I, like a Bill and Ted thing. Yeah. I don't know. Probably. <laughs> Have we seen it before in the pages of X-Men? I don't think so, no. Okay. But Will uh, we see it again? Jubilee is certainly the hippest kid we've ever met in the X-Men. That's true. Like, Kitty was kind of, she's cool, but she's kind of square. Kitty would never say, all right. No. She'd be like, yippee. She would say, way to go, Wolvie. <laughs> right. Did you see that, Lockheed? <laughs> Neato. Anyways. Way to go, Rusky. <laughs> I don't uh, think she would ever call Colossus Rusky. Well, no, but. <laughs> <laughs> you switch You switch sides? Or, or what, I can, now I can't do Jubilee. You uh, switch sides or what? Yeah. Uh, came to my senses, actually. Let uh, that then be your epitaph, says Mandarin, and he prepares to kill them. You both have courage. I respect that. Therefore, your deaths will be quick and without pain. I truly regret the sacrifice of jubilation, but such is fate. And now my arm will not move. And we get something about how Psylocke has worn the rings before and touched Mandarin's mind. And so she still has some cord- some sort of psionic abilities to stop his hand from moving i don't like how uh Psylocke's gums are colored brown are they yeah no they're not in mind but are you reading on marvel unlimited i'm reading it in the epic collection oh okay volume 17 in marvel unlimited uh where she's all sweaty her gums are brown they're pink here yeah that's so, probably that's how they should have been colored <laughs> Um, you are a magnificent f- woman, a, f- a, mer- a worthy foe, says Mandarin, but doomed. Get away, Jubilee, says Psylocke. Take Wolverine while you have the chance. Move, girl. Hold him as I'll hold him as long as I'm able. And the, uh, the Wolverine shows up with a snicket. He's got that classic two claws on one side of Mandarin's head. Tell me, bub, you ever dance with the devil by the pale moonlight? Somebody's watched Batman recently. What the devil does that mean, says Mandarin. Beats me. How about do you feel lucky? I feel like Wolverine's, maybe he's like a movie buff. I guess so. He's he's obviously seen Batman and Dirty Harry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, this was, I guess, Batman in 1989 was the biggest thing in the world, so... 
on the one hand, it makes sense that they would throw this line in here, but on the other hand, it it's kind of dumb. It's definitely a uh, it locks you in to where you are in time, um, specifically because that line was only ever in that movie and <laughs> it's like very closely identified with that movie. Yeah. I feel like uh in either the last issue of New Mutants or something, somebody asked like what are you or who are you and the character said I'm Bat oh I mean I'm somebody else. There's lots of <laughs> Batman eighty nine references. Heck yeah. Anyways, uh yeah. Even if even you s- if you slay me with your third clock, gotta admit I'm tempted. With my dying thought, I'll command my ring to disintegrate your friend. They don't call it my disintegrator ring for nothing. Then she'll be dead, but so will you, fair exchange. No, no. more blood need be shed, provided we can arrive at an accommodation. Between men of honor, why not? Why not indeed? Question is, do we qualify? And apparently they do, because their next panel, they're on a boat. And so, after tying up all appropriate loose ends, off-panel, it would have been boring detail anyways. Yeah, I mean, do we really need to see all that? I guess no. Nah. They get a boat, and uh, they're they're out to sea, and Jubilee is like, I don't trust Jubilee. Oh, Ju- Jubilee doesn't I'm, trust Psylocke. Right, I don't trust Psylocke. trust Jubilee, that would be very confusing. Wolvie, I don't, give me a brick, she's a telepath, she could be playing with your head. Tried that once and learned her lesson. Stubborn, brick-brained, macho poop. <laughs> I'll never trust her. You look terrible. You took a terrible gamble, uh, but Wolverine, what does he say? Like, either this was going to happen or we were going to die. Either way, the result's the same. Yep. Something like uh, that. With you, well, reading minds is a long way from being able to cope with what you find, and I'm a really very a com- a very complicated kind of guy. How come Wolverine's not wearing a shirt? Couldn't find one. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jubilee's wearing a shirt, so maybe Jubilee is wearing the last remaining shirt. Uh, it's like It looks like it's too big for her. So maybe that's Wolverine's sweater? Oh, maybe. Yellow sweater. Wolverine was just like, here, take my sweater. Wolverine says, the brakes are off. Bets all my inner ghosts are and demons are running free. I doubt even old Charlie Xavier himself, best skull scanner of the breed, could handle that mess. Figured it'd either knock you for a major loop or put things right, whichever it worked for me. So, yeah, we get the, the uh, this was all part of my plan bits, which, mm. you know, we don't really need. Nope. And then she goes on to talk about Carol and Nick Fury and the bullets, and she saw them, so she was psychically causing those ninja people to fall backwards, maybe even die. I don't know. I, too, became mad. Perhaps I still in. I should not be here. Woo-hoo. Uh, Where else? Where else better? It's my doing. The X-Men were cast to the Siege Perilous. And here's your chance to make amends. Betsy, we're a team. Living Xavier's dream. Let's go round up the X-Men. He doesn't say okay. that. <laughs> well, that's what's happened. Yeah. I mean, the, the implication is... Betsy came through the Siege Perilous, and she came out the other end a ninja, more or less. Um, Although, I guess it's a little more complicated than that. But the same thing is uh, true of the the rest of the X-Men, and they just need to find him now. Yeah, I mean, she kind of came out the other side of the Siege Perilous more or less uh, in the 
a blank slate. Of, well, but a vision of what she wanted to be, right? As we set out, she was like, I'm weak and I need this armor and all I have is these mental powers. And now she's she's a ninja. She's an acrobat. She's got the psychic knife. So that's that's true. I mean, the without the hand, would she have gotten there, though? Maybe not, but maybe that was part she, of the Siege Perilous's plan. That's true. She she kind of uh, she kind of needed to be in the sensory deprivation tank to establish that self that she wanted to be. So I don't know. Kind of, I never really looked at it that way. That Betsy has sort of become the person that she kind of wants to become. That's how I always read uh, these issues, but I could be wrong. Months. I'm glad I read this with you because I probably would have never gotten there. We got some email. Sure did. Brian says, wow, you guys recorded this episode back in March when lockdown began. It's June 2nd and the world has changed more than you could possibly imagine. Oh, it's the time travel of podcasting. <laughs> uh, as evidenced by fires and riots outside our windows. Issue 254, thoughts? The cover was definitely a red herring, which isn't a spoiler, don't worry. The new team just comes across as placeholders, kind of like the scabs that replaced NFL players during the 87 union strike, meaning they put on the uniforms for a couple of games, but were not and still aren't considered official NFL players. That's a deep cut football reference that I don't get. I don't get. I didn't. uh, Yeah. Football. You know what? I I do (laughs) remember, though, there was a Mad Magazine spoof on uh, the 87 football union strike. And I didn't get it then either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything else to say about that. But I remember reading it in the pages of Mad Magazine and being like, oh, these are funny pictures. But I don't know what's happening. I've never been a sports guy. Um, I, I briefly had roommates that were really into hockey. And so for maybe a season or two, I was into hockey. Huh. And that's that's not enough to know. Like, OK, uh, I did know a couple of players on a couple of teams. Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, well, yeah, there's Wayne Gretzky because he's, like, famous. Uh, um, but I knew I knew a handful of other players on, like, uh, the the Buffalo Sabres, uh, Dominic Hasek. Nope. Um, the, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, Yarmir Yager, and uh, the other famous guy. You're uh, just, it's just gibberish right now. All <laughs> I'm hearing is, like, white noise. That's true. Yarmir Yager does sound like gibberish. Um <laughs> And then uh, the uh, the New York uh, the New York Rangers who who has that that Wayne Gretzky was there for a while Mark Messier oh I, I've heard that name before um, there's an, if I could remember the guy from Pittsburgh you you probably remember him too but I don't remember it um, Doug Gilmore from the Toronto Maple Leafs nope. see I only know the highlights nope I don't know yeah so that that they, I didn't I I was up I was up one night watching one of the longest hockey games in history because it went into like quadruple overtime so that was fun yeah i that sounds exciting sports <laughs> sports puck uh yeah so the reaction by brigadier stewart to getting turned into a fish was a bit overplayed she's a military trained official knowingly living in a world of superpowers and magic and in the middle of a crisis situation involving a dying companion Seems out of character for her to focus on how exhilarating she felt for half a page and not address the critical situation around her. The editor must have taken lunch when Claremont turned that page in. For the sake of argument. Oh, that's right. I I had forgotten about that whole thing. And we we spent a lot of time talking about it. 
for the sake of argument, it, it, it seems like maybe she is military trained for sure. But I mean, she's never gotten turned into a fish before. I think that would, you know, even the most trained professional would be like, holy crap, I'm a fish. It's amazing. Even as in a world of superpowers and magic, if you've never gotten turned into a fish, you don't know what it's going to be like your first time. Maybe the second time she'd be like, oh, fish again. I better focus on what I need to do. <laughs> I think the point, though, is that that page didn't just didn't go anywhere and it didn't seem to really have any meaning. It was like unnecessary. Oh, my gosh. There's so much like that. <laughs> but eh, it's comics. Jeremy calls those issues filler. <laughs> when you get to the age of apocalypse, a scene in the issue might, in this issue, might have the same, might have some minor significance, just a little tease. Well, Brian, I hope you're still listening to us then, because we're not going to remember that you mentioned this or that that scene happened. Maybe we will. Uh, we're, we're, as we get older, we slowly lose our minds. But uh, maybe, maybe. Hopefully you'll be there with us. Uh, yeah. I've not read much uh, or anything really of Age of Apocalypse, so well, I don't think I've read any of it. What was what was the one in the late '90s that had started with Omega? Was o- that Age of Apocalypse? Omega Red? No, it was like Omega X-Men, Supreme, X Men Alpha, and X Men Omega. Oh yeah, where, where yeah. the and all the titles changed to something else. Yeah, that's a, that, that's Age of that, Apocalypse. Okay, so I did have some of those issues. I so. think I think I have them all. To be honest, I found them all at a garage sale and at a at a uh, secondhand bookstore. I think every issue was like a buck. So I was like, oh, these are interesting, but I've never read them. I've read the Weapon X ones. Okay, because because I don't I don't know why because <laughs> I read them because. Uh, Joey Salomon from Twitter said he just started listening to the pod a couple weeks ago and made it to number 22 so far. Ooh, man. That's just after a couple of weeks. Yeah. Reading and listening along, so I have a long way to catch up, but I want to let you know that it's an uncanny ride. Looking forward to the 280 or so episodes to catch up. Well, greetings from the future in the past. Greetings from your future which is now your present, but, uh, uh, but from it's our past. Our present, but will be our past, but is your future. And it's our future because we didn't say this when you're listening to it. We, so it's our past? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, more, more time travel, more podcast time travel. Which is great. I hope you make it up to this episode, which is 303 or 304 or 3. I don't even, I don't even know. If I scroll up, does it tell me? I'm, Let's see. Oh, this is 303, according to our show notes. We have show notes. <laughs> but we've got a little bit of organization. <laughs> there you go. So if you want to join into the conversation, please do so by uh, visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Danger Room Go, or you can email us, Danger Room at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes or anywhere podcasts are available and subscribe to us. Leave us a review, give us some stars, some feedback, all that good stuff. Uh, or go out to www.patreon.com forward slash Danger Room and subscribe to one of our amazingly fun Patreon levels. And maybe one day there will be commentary or a review of that show we were talking about earlier generation x generation Uh, x we will do anything that you will pay for let's put it that way i mean like wait a minute 
Maybe Adam well, will. <laughs> well, let, well, let's see what they're going to pay for first before we say no. I mean, I feel like that's a slippery slope. Let us know what you're willing to pay for, and then we'll 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 negotiate. <laughs> all right. I don't know where I don't know if I like where this is going. Um, <laughs> our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Um, so true. And as uh, t- speaking of time travel, um. Like there's a really good chance that this episode drops in like August, <laughs> just based on our release schedule, uh, and and we're recording in June. So I got to thinking about this, and again, this is going to be like another time travel thing. Of you know, we started talking about the pandemic, like as the pandemic was happening in our real time, but those episodes didn't hit until like I think June second, or maybe just a little bit before that. So it it would be interesting. Uh, to listen to a podcast in which the current released episode is talking about events that seem old, but are relatively recent, if that makes any sense. Well, I mean, anybody that isn't following us up like on a, on a week to week basis, um, won't necessarily realize, I mean, I guess they'll expect that we'll be slightly in the past and they won't have, they won't notice that our, our release dates are, three weeks or four weeks or five weeks or whatever after the actual events that we're talking about. So there's a difference, right? And I get what you're saying, but like if you're watching the daily show, for example, and mm-hmm. you're binging last week's while well, you're expecting to get last week's news or last yeah, week's yeah. goings on. And, and that's an acceptable thing because you're, you're late to the game. But when you watch the latest episode, uh, if they're talking about something from three weeks ago and ignoring like all the stuff that happened over the previous weekend, you'd be like, well, this is weird. Yeah, you would be. But I mean, that's because you expect the daily show to be up to date. Whereas podcasts, podcasts are consumed in two different ways. You either you're either way behind and you just binge the heck out of them or even binge the heck slowly out of them. So like, say you do one a week or something like that, or you're following them as they come out week to week, uh, week to week or every other week or whatever. If you're doing that, then yeah, you're definitely going to notice that these guys (laughs) are way behind um, because... Because, yeah, we uh, we have like three or four in the can, whatever it is, plus the Patreon episodes. We have some of those in the can. So we're kind of ahead of ourselves. Um, I mean, doesn't doesn't ultimately really uh, affect how anybody I don't know. What, what is your point? <laughs> oh, my point is, is just it, it would be it, it'd be interesting uh, in a, I mean, for some of the listeners who are listening on a week to week basis to hear what we were talking about three, four weeks prior, but in the brand new episode. For the people that are binging it in the future, uh, it won't matter to them. It'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember yeah. when all that happened. But for the for the person that's up to date, it'd be like, oh, Jesus, these guys are like way behind. In the past, we have been, we have had a more of a, a recording schedule that was, like we haven't had episodes in the can. We've only had like, we record one and then we would put it out a week later or two weeks later and we were a little bit up to date we've never been this uh we've never had this many episodes in the can before it's kind of nice i would call it prepared yeah yeah it's sort of weird I all right i've never i don't know what to call it <laughs> <laughs> uh acts of vengeance um or no i guess we could talk a little bit about um excalibur which excalibur number 19 yeah um it's not got alan davis so it's harder to rick leonardi it's your your best friend (laughs) 
Now, I will give them some cred. Like, the cover's not great. Um, and I definitely bought this issue. So this was a month that, you know, as we went through all these issues, I was like, oh, man, I bought a lot of these issues. So I don't know <laughs> if I just had extra money or spent more time at the comic book store. But obviously, since on the cover here, we see not exactly the X-Men, and I'm seeing all my favorites from Australia, I'm like, oh, I'm buying this issue. And then you read it, and you're like, oh, it isn't exactly <laughs> the X-Men, is it? They really meant what they said. So the cover's not great, uh, but I'm going to be honest. The interior art is pretty good. This is probably some of the best Rick Leonardi that we've covered. I would agree. That was the first thing that struck me is like a lot of detail. It, it doesn't have, I don't know, it, it almost kind of looks a little like Eric Larson, but I don't want to say that he's copying Eric Larson. I just feel like his maybe his maybe this is like, him maturing into the next phase of Rick Leonardi that I'm not familiar with. I don't know. Or, but. or maybe it's just like the, he's got two anchors, Terry Austin and L. Milgram. Uh, mm. It just says Austin and Milgram. So maybe maybe it has something to do with – I mean, Terry Austin is the classic John Byrne anchor. Yep. So maybe maybe we're getting this kind of that level of uh, inking on, on the pencils and it just makes it look that much better. I don't know. So all this being said is uh, – I as nice as it was to look at, I didn't get much out of this issue. Um, what I can tell you is that Jamie Braddock is is back. I, I think they're at still their cross time caper alternate Earth somewhere. Yep. Uh, Jamie Braddock has handily taken out Captain Britain. Um, he has captured Widget and Lockheed. Um, sends Kitty away. There's this side story with um, Alistair and Nightcrawler where these beautiful police come and ask for protection. I don't know. The same police from the last issue where they were all manga-ized. Oh, okay. They're not manga-ized here. Well, they kind of are. There are some scenes where they've got like the big eyes and the the big smile. A little bit, yeah, but mostly no. I mean, unless you, you probably wouldn't notice it if you didn't know it from last issue. The, the ladies, the interesting thing here is the ladies are all afraid of Nightcrawler, but then Nightcrawler uh, sexually harasses them, and then they fall in love with him. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of creepy. He teleports around, kissing them all, and with every kiss, each one of them's like, oh, he's dreamy. Quite the kisser. It's weird. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a product of its time. I guess. That doesn't excuse it. Um, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Rachel is in the train, and she's still got her psychic rapport with Megan. And uh, she's like, uh, in order to fight Jamie, I guess she's going to summon her memories of the X-Men because Jamie won't expect the X-Men, I think. Didn't make any sense to me, but okay. Uh, Kitty Seems like just an excuse to get Wolverine in the issue. Yeah, kind of. Well, sort of. Kitty is in like a a halfway house or, or something like that. She is in... Uh, She's in Captain Britain's house, I think. Yeah, Captain or Jamie Braddock's house, one of them. Yeah. And uh, it's like the maid is there or mum is there. I don't know what, but she's serving up some food. And she's like, oh, you've got to look after Jamie Braddock. And Kitty's like, oh, my God. So Megan Wolverine is questioning, like, oh, am I going to be Wolverine forever? Oh, look, these claws are coming out of him. Uh, his are metal and mine are natural. This is weird. Because bone claws aren't a thing yet. I guess. And so, a page of Wolverine kind of doing some stuff, and then she turns into Longshot. Uh, Captain Britain's been turned into a car. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Captain Britain fights Longshot Megan, who turns into Dazzler, I think, and then uh, Havoc shows up after a while. Kitty puts on some super tight pants to go out. I don't remember why she's going out. Uh, because she's got to find the rest of Excalibur, and uh, she decides she needs to leave because um, the, what is the portal's name? Uh, Widget. Widget, she sees Widget outside, so she wants to go outside to Widget because she thinks it'll take her back to Excalibur. She's she's she has at some point traveled through Widget to another universe. That's when like uh, uh, Jamie Braddock had Widget and Lockheed and somehow knocked her through the portal. Yeah, uh, but so she goes outside and then she comes back inside. She's like, "Oh, that's Dazzler," but that's not Dazzler. Um, Don't go away, Widget, be right back. Came from upstairs. Oh, so she's going to go upstairs because she thinks she heard Dazzler from upstairs. And uh, Mom there, whoever she is, is like, you can't go up there. The Master's up there. Uh, Meanwhile, Dazzler's firing. um, Then gets sound taken away from her. She's super confused. So Rachel turns her into Havoc, who shoots at Jamie, but then... As Kitty enters the room, Jamie's playing with X-Men dolls, and there's like a red blast from uh, Havoc's uh, plasma blast kind of out of his back. So it's, ha- it's kind of like the Nightmare on Elm Street effect, like the thing that's happening in in uh, make-believe land is actually happening sort of to, to what might be the real uh, Jamie. Except this time it's happening to Freddy Krueger. Right. That's right. Right, because in this example, Jamie is definitely Freddy Krueger. Anyways, yeah, so uh, she turns into or, uh, Havoc turns into Storm, who cools off Jamie, then turns into Colossus. So they fight, and then Rogue, and then Rogue uh, kisses Jamie, but then Jamie's actually able to kind of counter that and take over. Um, yeah, and then Kitty scolds uh, Jamie Braddock, and that ends the issue. Yeah. Yep, she's like, Jamie, stop playing with your toys and go to bed. And and, she, and he's like, oh, uh, okay. And then she thinks to herself, like, oh, well, he you know, took his toys away and treated him like a kid, which is exactly what he wants. And, and that uh, that took care of it. And then she goes to walk through the widget portal and, and finds that she's just phased through the wall. So she's stuck in Brian Braddock's house in, I don't think, real Earth. Or maybe it is real Earth. Well, she thinks it's real Earth. So a, a woman shows up that I'm... Is it Saturnine? I think it's Saturnine. But it's hard to tell because when Alan Davis draws Saturnine, it's like, oh, that's Saturnine. This is Rick Leonardi drawing a blonde woman who's got like a leather jacket. And she's like, sleep well, kitty. Grief will pass. And when it does, I'll be waiting to make you mine. So I don't know. So the the... I think Kitty has passed back into the real world, but I the, think the rest so of Excalibur too. are in the Nightmare on Elm Street dream world that Brent, uh, Jamie Braddock has created. Yeah, and just kind of looking forward, like, are we? Is Alan Davis done? <laughs> I, feel I like think he, he comes back to wrap this up, and then he might be done. Oh God! The next issue is drawn by Ron Lim. Ugh. And Ron Lim is actually pretty good. I mean, nope. <laughs> maybe maybe not an Excalibur, but he, uh, I don't know. I like Ron Lem. I definitely like him today. Oh, no. Like, he he, uh, he definitely has his own style. And Anyways. He does a good Silver Surfer around I'm, this time. Sure, sure. I feel like he would make a, a, do a good Silver Surfer. 
Uh, what else did we read? New Mutants number 86 is another Acts of Vengeance issue. This one features Rob Liefeld taking the helm. Um, I, although... got, I have uh, I have problems, uh, Adam, with this cover. Okay. Uh, first... So this cover is an homage. Well, obviously. Okay. <laughs> so the problem I have with this cover is it's obviously an homage, but it's a, it's a super weird homage in that, uh, yes, it's the pose of Spider-Man fighting... Um, vulture but it's neither spider-man nor is it a spider-man comic in which this cover is appearing and it's rusty so you're saying it doesn't make sense because rusty don't fly no i mean i can get over all of that like he's a superhero and and vultures flying uh but it's just such a weird like to me it feels like rob liefeld's like i want to do this cover and everyone says, "All right, you can do this cover. That's that's cool." And so it's a fine, like it's a fine cover to a uh, to a degree. So like Vulture looks great, in my opinion. The scaling of Rusty is all sorts of wacky. <laughs> like if you really think and look at the perspectives of what's happening, Rusty is holding on to Vulture's leg. The rest of his body is behind his leg, but all of his legs and feet and boots are bigger than the foreground vulture, which must mean that, like, he's just gigantic against the vulture. Now, granted, vulture's an old, frail man, but it's weird. I feel like you're describing a Rob Liefeld cover. <laughs> but it's just it's just a weird thing. Like, I get, I get homages, and I think they're great, but this is just such a weird homage. Like, if it was... Um, Gosh, in the New Mutants, it's like there's not even like a notable hero that you you put on as the hero portion of this cover. Like nobody knows well, who was, Rusty Collins is. That's what was weird about the whole issue is that the there are barely any New Mutants in this issue. This is the Rusty Collins skids episode of New Mutants, which is fine if you're following along. You know who they are, but it because of that, it's like a complete tonal shift. It goes to this kind of action posy comic that is very different than the issues that came before it and barely even features actual new mutants in it. And I'm, so it, the whole thing was sort of strange. I'm kind of okay with it because, you know, as I've mentioned before, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of rusty and skids, uh, not, not necessarily top tier heroes though, in the Marvel universe. Um, so I'm, I'm glad I'm, I like them. I like rusty and skids too. It's just strange to give them their own issue issue yeah well i mean on the other hand like louis simonson's been like like building this other kind of subplot story so it's kind of nice that rather than like dribbling it out page after page they're like all right let's let's just do an issue of of what happened to rusty and uh skids and you know maybe they make their way back to the mutants maybe new mutants or maybe they don't i don't actually remember how what happens to them but Anyways, uh, the other thing that's on here, so it's it's Liefeld inked by McFarlane, and there's a slash that says after Ditko, which I'm, I also don't understand. Like, again, if this is the cover of The Amazing Spider-Man, I get it. That, that makes sense. And even if it's not Spider-Man, even if it's not Vulture, but it's an homage cover, and it says after Ditko, but putting it on the New Mutants cover, like, doesn't make any sense. Like, Ditko didn't have anything to do with the New Mutants. I understand well, he probably drew the original cover that this yeah. is homaging, but... Uh, that's it. It's it's so weird to me. It's it's like a like a like a vanity thing. Like I want to do this thing, and so I was like, it doesn't make any sense. Like I don't care. I want to do this thing. And like oh, okay, it's it's an art thing when you, and I think this has been done before. When you do 
a version of or an homage to somebody's cover you always put after that person. Oh, do you? Okay. I, I've seen it before. I don't know if this is like, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's just a thing comics does. I don't know if it's a thing outside of comics. Probably is. Comics probably got it from somewhere else. I don't know. So it's uh, it's Rob Liefeld, and the issue is actually inked by Bob Wiasek, which I guess, I don't know, does um, Rob Liefeld have a standard inker, or does he become his own inker? No idea. Okay. Anyways, uh, you can definitely tell there is an artistic shift occurring here. There's uh, new panel layouts, dynamic panel layouts, um, characters not inside of panels. Oh, by the way, in um, that one movie that I was documentary I was telling you about uh Tetsuo no there was a <laughs> documentary on Amazon Prime about Chris Claremont and kind of like the rise and fall of image comics or I don't remember okay. it was one of those things I, I think I also saw it Rob Liefeld's like oh I was the first one to draw things outside of panels and the editors would be like you're drawing things outside of the panels you can't do that <laughs> I thought that was Is funny that, that can't be true I feel like that's what he said I couldn't have made up all, all right. of that well, I know. I mean, I'm not saying that you, any way you said wasn't true. I'm just saying what he said wasn't true. No, but I think he took it to like a whole new level of like, there's an image here of the vulture and he's getting wrapped up by bolos and there's no panel around him whatsoever, which is fine. But I, I, I this is probably the first time I've seen this. I feel like certainly bits of images have gone beyond the panel for other comics or other uh, older comics. This feels like a thing that John Byrne does. I think but. he does it now. I, I feel, as a matter of fact, in the run of his Behind the X-Men, or do you remember that series he did? Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of that where it would be like, like panel, splash, panel. I, thought, I feel like he did that in Elf of Flight a little bit, too. Well, okay. Anyways, so the whole thing here is that Vulture, as we know, got his Vulture gear back from... Uh, the Mad Thinker, I think. And uh, yeah. there was a note to go um, rescue Nitro. And Nitro's ability is to explode and then, I guess, reform and then explode again. Did you ever read Civil War? I did, as a so matter of fact. I think it was Nitro who kickstarts the whole thing I when think... he he blows up like a bunch of school children. And I think you're right. And I think that was the first thing I thought of because... Uh, the Mad Thinker's like, oh, it's an act of vengeance. You have to go get that speedster speedball. Yeah. And speedball was one of the kids in Civil War that's like, come on, we're doing a reality superhero show. Because he was in the New Warriors who had yeah. turned into a reality superhero team, which was always weird, but okay. So anyways, uh, that, yeah, definitely conjured images of that. So they're going to, like, Vulture's like, I'm not, I don't care about speedball. Uh, we got to go rescue Nitro. Meanwhile, Rusty and Skids, uh, they're evading police. They steal a truck. Um, let's see. There's It's full-on action. It is a lot of action. Uh, the Vulture and Mad Thinker, they make, make up because they're enemies, because I guess the Mad Thinker sold Vulture down the river, maybe. Can't uh, remember. The, the Vulture is mad because the Mad Thinker copied his wings and oh. then sent him his wings in jail and so he wants him dead because he doesn't like the idea that somebody else has the plans to his wings and then the mad thinker explains well like that's part of the acts of vengeance somebody gave me the plans i guess it was, maybe it was kingpin or something who knows okay. i don't say um but then the vulture's like oh i need to figure out who that person is 
but he never really says that. No. So they, uh, the Vulture and, well, mostly just the Vulture, freeze, the, freeze Nitro, who's in this, like, uh, metal sarcophagus, which and has handles right on the top for Vulture to grab and fly out away from, which is very convenient. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rusty and Skids show up. Rusty and Vulture fight. Nitro escapes, and he gets ready to blow himself up, and he's like, Skids, you force field girl, you protect those people, but I'm blowing everything up, and instead she covers Nitro with her force field, and takes on the majority brunt of the explosion, at which point I'm like, oh my god, like, it makes sense. Like, you do a full-on Rusty and Skids issue because you're going to kill Skids, and that's going to be a big deal. But they don't kill Skids. I don't, do they? Because there's this thing at the end where, so Freedom Force shows up. No, they, 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 they don't kill Skids. No. Okay. I don't think they do it. At least not in this issue. There's definitely a, uh, so Nitro blows up, uh, Freedom Force shows up, um, and uh, there's this whole, this whole big thing about how we need to take this girl to the hospital, and Freedom Force is like, no, we're going to take her. Yeah. And and then the doctor's like, well, if we don't take her to the hospital, she's going to die. And Freedom Force is like, I don't care. Yeah, we're well, going to take her. We're Freedom Force. Um, but she never actually dies. And she okay. looks like she's in a lot of pain. Um, and I think it would be, I think it'd be pretty. Maybe she does die. Maybe she dies in the next issue. I, I don't know. Um, I guess there was another thing I missed, which was that Skids is kind of like, you know, screw these humans. Like, you know, we'd save them and all they want to do is persecute us. I'm, I've had it with them. Like, let's just take care of our own. And Rusty's yeah, they kind of like, came out of nowhere. It, it did. Uh, and I feel like we're going somewhere. And then Rusty's whole plan was like, we'll go stop the vulture from rescuing Nitro and then people will think we're heroes and that'll be good for the mutants PR. Mm. And Skids is like, oh, cool, that's a great idea. Yeah. And then when Freedom Force shows up, they basically spin it around and say, these guys are terrorists. Yep. They helped the vulture and the Mad Thinker rescue Nitro and now we're putting them back in jail. And Captain Commando or whatever his name is, Crimson has really Commando. turned into a yeah, yeah, whatever. He has really turned into a jerk. Yeah. He used to be kind of noble. Yeah, no, now, he's, he's, now just, he's a, just a standard freedom force. Yep. Uh, but and he kind of he spins it. He's like, but danger, even death, is the price of freedom force's vigilance, and freedom force will pay it gladly because we are America's heroes and we serve you all. So maybe he <laughs> is noble, but he's definitely putting on airs for the cameras. He's yeah. He speechifies the whole thing into a PR promo for. Freedom Force, which is, uh, uh, that was probably, it was, it was a good speech, smart. Meanwhile, uh, a character with a big grin and, and a white triangle haircut named Wildside uh, sets off a bomb, and another dude named Zero gets them out of this power plant, I guess. And uh, it's, I was wondering if Wildside was a new character. Yep, I guess it is. So I, all these are, are uh, Rybley failed created characters i guess oh yeah it's starting everybody uh the mutant liberation front uh demands that rusty and skids be freed this is why i don't think skids is dead but i could be wrong for every day they remain in captivity another false symbol of humanity's prosperity and liberty will be destroyed next issue we see a gray-haired man with a gun and a glinty eye the yeah. new mutants escape from Asgard and one man stands against the mutant terrorists. Meet him next issue. The new mutants' lives will never be the same. So I got a question, Adam. Is okay. this 
does this technically count as Cable's first appearance? Um, if this counts as an appearance, it would be a cameo. But I don't even know if it's a cameo because it's, it's technically it, just an ad. It's in the next issue box where yeah. where you do all of your exciting things. And as I recall, issue number 87, I believe, is technically the first appearance of Cable. Also came out with its like gold-covered and silver-covered yeah. covered second and third editions uh, as X-Force was ramping up. I think as far as value goes, 87 is the one that's worth a lot of money. 86 is probably worth a fair amount of money because it's the first Rob Liefeld but I don't think it's quite the uh, the value that 87 has. Is it the first Rob Liefeld? I thought Liefeld did another New Mutants earlier. Like not he, like he did a he did a cover of New Mutants, but and but he also did an issue of X Factor and he did an issue of Uncanny X-Men. Okay. But he has not he has yet to do an issue of New Mutants. Okay. This is the the first one of this. And I was enjoying going through this and seeing how many times he drew eyes. And how many times people are squinting. <laughs> I didn't pay attention to any of that. What's the and countdown? That's my, that's my new Rob Liefeld thing is just noticing how many times people are squinting. It's, it's just all through here. He hates drawing eyes. Okay. And he loves drawing eyebrows, though. I... Frequently, the, frequently the eyebrows obfuscate the eyes. Well, I look forward to this brave new world of uh, Rob Liefeld New Mutants because... I haven't read it. Um, I've never read it either. I I read issue 100. Same. And then a bunch of X-Force. And then they all started Image and I stopped listening. And I've read the Extinction Agenda issues as well. Ah, same here. Yep. Um, So the New Mutants are also in this and it basically wraps up the Asgard story and says that they don't know how they're going to get home. And that's really all that happens. We, we see uh, we, we see Rob Liefeld drawing Boom Boom, which in the first panel he draws her fairly consistently with how he would, she was drawn by Bre- Bevins. And then in the next panel we see her, he, she is totally Rob Liefeld. <laughs> Does that mean like she's super busty? Well, she just looks like Skids does through mo- throughout most of the issues. She's got the big poofy hair, the slender, big busty body, you know, sta- mm-hmm. standard 90s stuff. Uh, Wolverine 21 is a, another issue that I bought when it hit on the comic stands because when you open that first page and you see the X-Men in Australia, I'm like, oh, I got to buy this. <laughs> you got suckered and you were in the <laughs> middle of a story and that you got nothing. <laughs> yeah, I can say like I, I read these first. I recall specifically reading this first page and then I don't remember anything else in this book. <laughs> so... <laughs> I I uh, I read this. I, I own this issue as well, and I don't remember anything about this book either. And I've definitely read it. Um, so the fact that Havok, Dazzler, and Colossus and uh, Psylocke are here, Psylocke in her armor, and they talk about like, oh, it hasn't been that long since we lost Storm, firmly places this story in uh, continuity, which is kind of neat. I like that. I think that's the whole point of it. Because it even yeah. there's even a box that says this story takes place before the events in X Men two forty nine. I don't think they needed this whole page to tell you that though. They could have just had like a a, a a narration box. I don't see any other purpose for this page. Other than to sucker me into being like, Oh, the X Men are in Wolverine number twenty one. I'm gonna buy it. Or maybe John Byrne was like, 
people are going to wonder why the X-Men aren't helping Wolverine out. I better give them a one-page reason for that. Maybe. Anyways, yeah, I uh, didn't read much of this. Uh, it's it's basically something that happened that we didn't see last issue was that the Geist guy shoots Wolverine in the back with the steroids that he was using to turn Roughhouse into a crazy, or not steroids, cocaine um, monster guy. We don't see it, but we we uh, we hear Geist say, "Oh, I hit him with the cocaine." So Wolverine's probably going crazy. And then the whole issue is Wolverine kind of combating his own beastly demons, having some flashbacks, hanging out with Roughhouse, uh, hanging out with Sister Salvation, basically going through his healing factor. And we learn that the cocaine is actually a alien life form that predates back to when the Eternals were a Marvel Comics thing. Mm-hmm. Um I'm like I think this is his first appearance, and they're just adding that to the Eternals thing. But it's uh, you, think, be, I think, you think this is the first appearance of the Eternals? No, no, no. This oh, is the okay. first appearance of, of the uh, the spore, okay, cocaine creature. But they're 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 sort of throwing it into the whole Eternals thing, okay, to make it I don't know more connected to other stuff. I mean, there's a celestial in this issue. As a kid. Uh, me only reading Wolverine. I had no idea what any of this stuff meant. Um, and I didn't even know what the first page of X-Men w- meant. Yeah. So I was like, I was only buying comics that would show up at like Rite Aid. Sure. So if X-Men, like I probably would have been collecting X-Men at this point, but for the fact that it never showed up at Rite Aid. So I didn't even know Wolverine was in a comic called X-Men, which is sort of shocking now t- to me now, but <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, Wolverine gets out of his funk and gets back to being uh, himself. Uh, his season factor kicks in. He defeats the spore running through his body. And then Silver, turns out that Sister, Sister Felvation was leaving clues for Geist and the, um, the, the, the head bad guy of Tierra Verde, who is her husband, who she doesn't like, but is holding their son prisoner, uh, she was leaving clues for them to capture them. So at the end of the issue, they all get captured. Yeah, there's Nazis and Celestials. That was yeah, there was a weird cameo by Hitler. Yeah, it was weird. There was it was it wasn't a real sequence, but it was sort of a Wolverine flashbacky sort of sequence where Geist is shaving Hitler and gives him the idea for the showers. Oh, it's kind of a weird thing to throw in a comic book, but okay. X-Factor number 51, X-Factor returns to Earth to face the savagery of Sabretooth. And y'all, everybody thought Sabretooth was dead, but he's alive. Well, he was in Amazing Spider-Man, the uh, the, the thing that we covered. Yeah, I know um, that. You know that. But X-Factor well, th- didn't know that. This acts like that didn't even happen. It does. They're like, oh, man, the X-Men killed him. Didn't you everybody hear? And then they reference <clears throat> in X-Men 210 and 213. And I was like, but what about Amazing Spider-Man? I knew he was back. Yeah, that's weird. Do your homework, Louis Simonson. Uh, you or, not, or, or Bob Harris. Uh, Bob Harris you could forgive because he probably wasn't around at the time, but Louis Simonson knew what was going on. Well, Bob Harris, I mean, the, the Amazing Spider-Man story was a couple months ago. That's he was true. probably around. Anyways, we get some new Morlocks uh, that maybe that escaped from the alley. Uh, Sabretooth shows up because apparently he wants to finish off the job. 
uh, and he kills like a, a vulture looking dude. Uh, but there's this other guy called the mole, uh, who oh. can burrow into walls and teleport, I guess. Uh, he Kinda. escapes, um, Caliban and Apocalypse, they've got, they go back and forth. Uh, Caliban really wants his revenge now that he sees Sabretooth on the big screen. He's like, oh, he killed all of my friends. I want to kill him. And Apocalypse is like, nah, you were made for greater things. I got plans for you. Just just chill. Um, this mole dude, I kind of dig him. He kind of makes friends with a record store employee. And at first she's afraid of him. But then they uh, they kind of become friends. And she's like, oh, I'll protect you. And I thought that was kind of sweet. Yeah. Uh, Ship and X Factor, they're heading back from that, that horrible, horrible story. <laughs> um, and Ship's like, I got a surprise for you. So they fly up to the, the Twin Towers, and you get the real scale of this ship. Like, compared to the Twin Towers, it is massive. Uh, and Ship flips itself on its edge and uh, crashes into the bay and plants itself there as a building. And. Uh, Kind of where there was a dome, ship reforms it into an X to denote X-Factor. And the police are not happy about this. They would like X-Factor to move their ship. But um, I can't remember if it's ship or somebody reminds them that, oh, no, no, um, Warren Worthington left this piece of land or beachfront or whatever to X-Factor to do with whatever they wanted to. I really feel like there'd be a zoning issue, though. <laughs> with, with this ship that's like four times as tall as the Twin Towers just now parked in the bay casting shadows everywhere um, there is a thing where it says even though the ship is touching the ground none of its weight is actually affecting the ground because it's supporting itself yeah yeah but it's like in the water I think I don't think it's in the water there's like a weird thing where it's touching down and it looks like it lands on the ground there's like a little shadow, like a pier or something. Or oh, okay, I see the shadows. See the way it's drawn; it looks like it's it's in the water. But I, looking at it a little closer, it it's casting a shadow. Right, I think probably on X Factor's former complex. I initially thought that it was just floating, which I thought was kind of cool. But then later they said, "No, we're actually touching the ground, even though we're acting like we're floating." So, I don't know, it's weird. Apocalypse is like, well, it's my old ship. It's achieved more than I ever thought it could. Good for you, X-Factor. Good for you. Um, I don't know, there's some rescue scene that, that, that happens. Yeah, a bunch of reporters show up and uh, in helicopters because they want to get the scoop on the story. And they end up crashing their helicopters into the police helicopters that are nearby. And X-Factor has to save everybody. And now the police hate the reporters because the reporters are idiots. And the repeat, the police are on the sides of X Factor, so that all gets cleaned up pretty quick. Um, Ice or uh, Archangel makes a friend with a female cop who he, whose life he saves, and Sabretooth sees uh, Archangel setting up the inevitable Archangel versus Sabretooth thing that's about to happen. And uh, Caliban, Beast, oh sorry, what about Beast, Beast bumps into Trish Talby? So oh, I missed that. That's fun. Oh yeah, there it is. Or Tish Trilby. Yep. Uh, Trish Tilby. Yeah. <laughs> Caliban, he uh, he can't take it anymore. He's like, I got to go and get my revenge. So he he makes his way to the teleport button, uh, despite Apocalypse trying to stop him. And uh, 
Uh, Caliban is able to teleport away, and Apocalypse is like, hmm, now you have embraced the destiny I have in secret prepared for you. <laughs> Once again, I planned this all along. <laughs> you will hunt and destroy the Marauders and all others who oppose you. In time, your very existence will unite the mutants, good and bad, for your predations will usher in the dark times, and they will need all their united strength to stand against you. Then... Will I fear you, Caliban, for your success may herald the end of our kind. I don't know that that happens, but maybe it does. This all feels like stuff that was a plan that never fell through. Yeah. So, yeah. Side note, I think you're right. It's Trish Tilby, but Beast calls her Miss Trilby. Oh. And, um, yeah, somebody should have caught that. Yeah. Bob Harris, sleeping at the wheel. Seriously. Good Lord. What's this guy paid for? <laughs> Nothing. I suppose it could be a woman. Bob Harris? That, and then, well, yeah, because there was Bobby Chase. Oh, she, sure. She was a uh, another editor. Sure, sure. Um, although I guess probably a woman would go by Bobby. You know what, Adam? You shouldn't make those sort of assumptions. <laughs> well, I'm thinking, about, I'm thinking about the late 80s and... Uh, stereotypes and such things but yeah of course and anybody can go by whatever name they want to go by just think traditionally there's a woman named bobby chase so i'm assuming that bob and i should you're right i shouldn't make assumptions bob harris i think is a man (laughs) i think so too um the character that throws me is uh the character from star trek discovery michael michael barnum yeah and that is because the 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 showrunner at the time, mm-hmm. whose name I don't remember, he did like uh, not not six feet under the the flowers one, Flo- dead flowers no. something about flowers. Anyway, all of his lead female characters have male names okay. for some reason. That's kind of his like calling card. So Michael Burnham in Star Trek Discovery also has a traditional male name, hmm. and that's fine. I mean, it's it's the twenty third century or whatever yeah. century it is and names have probably transcended gender and blah 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 so uh, it's just every time you hear it I, I shouldn't say it throws me but it's it's definitely like somebody was definitely making a statement or uh had purpose when they gave michael burnham her name so i don't know i don't know either uh marvel comics presents number 42 I didn't know uh, we continue the Wolverine story where, again, not a lot happens. The Wolverine and crew go into a small village in China where, once again, the Black Shadow shows up and destroys things. Then the White Shadow shows up to stop him, and they end up wiping out the entire village. Beast is in a panel of the Wonder Man story again. I had fun with the Wonder Man story because there's this sequence where uh, Hank Henry Pym shows up and he's like, Hey, Janet! I'm drinking beer and hanging out. Oh, come with me. Uh, we got to go somewhere. And Jan's like, oh, you're torturing me. And then he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then as soon as she relinquishes, he's like, come here. <laughs> it's just like, oh, my God, what an emotional roller coaster this whole story is. And she's like, well, oh, I love you. Why does this always happen whenever we get back together? But it turns out that it's not Henry Pym. It's actually Simon right. Wonderman. Uh, in disguise, I guess, and she's being con- he's being controlled by the Enchantress. So, really, it's all big a big misunderstanding. But but the whole sequence there between her and Janet's like it's kind of heartbreaking to a degree. Well, it it also has the classic precedence of the fact that Hank Pym once struck Janet 
Yep. Uh, which resulted in their divorce. Yep. From way back, which is like the classic Avengers thing that happened. Yep. So it, it's it's referencing that. So yeah, it's even kind of worse because of that. No, oh, yeah, yeah. And I call, I picked up on all that. You know, they're they're maybe trying to give it a go again, and and now he's just being like a jerk. But it's not really not really him. Did they ever retcon the the slap to be like, oh, he was possessed by Mysterio? No, if anything, they probably retconned it to make it worse. <laughs> probably, yeah. And then there's a story of uh, uh, Colleen Wing and uh, what's her face, uh, the daughters of the dragon. Yeah, it was Colleen okay. Wing and yeah, I don't remember her name either. Maybe the internet will tell me. I think it's in the like table of contents of this issue. That would be even better. Uh, Colleen Wing and Misty Knight. Misty Knight. Oh, how can you not remember the name Misty Knight? It's such a it rolls off the tongue. Well, you didn't more so it. than Colleen. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not criti- I'm critiquing myself. Oh well, Colleen Wing dated Cyclops for like a minute. Yes, that's probably why we remember Colleen Wing. Misty Knight but was mi- just like hanging out. Yeah, they're both in. Uh, they're both in those episodes of Marvel's Daredevil and whatever. I think Misty Knight was in one of them. <laughs> Colleen Colleen Wing was definitely in Iron Fist. I don't remember oh, what Misty, right. uh, Misty Knight was in uh, Luke Cage. Yeah. Not much happens in the issue that's worth mentioning, but there's an issue that features them of Marvel Comics Presents. It's true. Uh, if you're going to read Marvel Comics Presents, I suggest you skip uh, whatever story these are happening in. Nothing's really happening. Uh, Web of Spider-Man number 61 is another issue I bought because on the cover it features the Tri-Sentinel. No, that's Amazing Spider-Man 329. Whoops. Amazing 329 is another issue I bought because it features the Tri-Sentinel. It it does. And it's 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 got Eric Larson art. It's fun. Oh, this is another issue that's not added to my library, but I guess I'm not going to worry about it. Um, it's uh, It was a letdown. Um, it continues the story of Sebastian Shaw doing Sebastian Shaw things and uh, Loki. Well, this takes place after X of Vengeance has ended. Oh, okay. This is a little so, out of sequence, but. So Loki is mad that he lost. Spoilers. And um, although we're not even going to cover how it ended. So, uh, so he randomly takes those three uh, sentinels that Sebastian Shaw was working on and merges them into a tri-sentinel to go and destroy New York. Which I thought was, I, I, did, I missed that at first. I kind of like skimmed the issue and I was like, well, now wait a minute. How did the tri-sentinel get created in the first place? And there's just like one panel where Loki's like, yeah, I'll just leave him with this. And he snaps his fingers or whatever. And then the sentinels merge uh, and yeah. Spider-Man battles it. And it was kind of a letdown, like, I expected this to be like the first appearance of the Tri-Sentinel, a long-standing villainous character that this comic's going to be worth a lot of money. And it, it's not what <laughs> so happened. So instead, what we get is the conclusion of the Cosmic Spider-Man storyline where it turns out that the powers of Captain Universe were imbued mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. Cosmic Spider-Man for the sole purpose of him battling the inevitable Tri-Sentinel that would happen. And once he does this and wins, his powers go away. Yep. I guess he uses them up in order to destroy the Tri-Sentinel. Yep. So, and then it turns out that Flash Thompson is dating the uh, Felicia Hardy, the black cat. Yeah. What? 
And I think this is the first issue that McFarlane is officially no longer on Amazing Spider-Man. And you know what that means? The 90s are coming. Oh, man. He's going to get his own book soon. Yep. I feel like he but, gets uh, his own book before. Yeah, he gets his own before, book before X-Force uh, and X-Men. So he, he really kicks it off. Yeah, he is He is the official. The 90s are, uh, if you think about comics, and I think McFarlane kind of does it first. Although Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider happens. Not that anybody remembers Ghost Rider for anything, but <laughs> that, was, that was my first big 90s book. Uh, Spider-Man number one, or McFarlane's Spider-Man number one, kicks off August 1st, 1990. So I'm okay. guessing a few months to kind of build up his stories and his uh, his art and stuff, I guess. Yeah, probably. Probably to make sure that he had uh, like a, a a large surplus of comics to put out. At least nine of them. Yeah. <laughs> And we know X-Force number one isn't going to come out because we just did 86 of New Mutants. So that's got at least fourteen issues to go. So yeah, yeah, about a little over a year before X-Force one comes out. And then X-Men one happens after that. Very shortly, I believe. Web of Spider-Man, excuse me, Web of Spider-Man happens. Uh, That's another one page Magneto cameo where he's at the table and says something dumb. Yeah... And then Avengers West Coast number 55 is a cameo that he's only – Magneto's only in the beginning. He has uh, – we saw in the last issue that he's captured his daughter, Scarlet Witch. Oh, um, okay. Wait. I want to – so uh, it's, it's, since we're covering Web of Spider-Man number 61, I wanted to find out what the goofy line was. And the setup is that the mind guy – I don't know what his name is and I don't care uh, – he Spider-Man gets fed up with being cosmic Spider-Man, so he throws his mask into the air, and and this dude, whatever his name is, he he, he catches it, and he's like Spider-Man's mask. So he takes it to the circle of villains, and he's like, "Look, everybody, I got Spider-Man's mask," and everyone's like, uh, "It's a fake." Okay, so the the big-headed guy is the wizard, and uh, Magneto is like, "What are you going to do, fool? Track the web slinger with a bloodhound?" And that's uh, it. That's it. <laughs> and Red Skull's there, which maybe is important. Red Skull's kind of looking on like, yeah, bloodhound, good one, Magneto. <laughs> You're a real joker, Magneto. <laughs> and then he says, you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? <laughs> yeah. And then everybody goes, Batman, I saw that. I love that movie. Michael so, Keaton, who would have thought? Yeah, really. Mr. Everybody... Mom, jeez. He was like the Heath Ledger of that generation. I don't, I don't know if I go that far. He was a breakout, though. Everyone was very shocked. Um, Avengers West Coast 55 features Magneto as well in the first two pages. Um, and he doesn't have... Well, he has one line of dialogue where he says Wanda. Because uh, yes. as, as we saw in the last issue, he stole Wanda's house and brought it up into space. Bringing it to Asteroid M, maybe. Who knows? And he says, she's still almost comatose, unresponsive, her mind closed down against the tragedies which have lately beset her. Even my use of magnetic powers to tear this house from its foundations and hurl it to the brink of space has not penetrated the fog around her mind. Clearly the time has come for a more direct approach. And then he puts his hand on her shoulder and says, Wanda. And then we do not see either of them until the end of the issue where we see Wanda and she's bad. But we never see Magneto in the rest of the issue. Yeah, Wasp is like, 
is it Wasp taking yeah taking care of Captain America who they just got done fighting Loki and kind of cradling Captain America and that's when Wanda shows up and she doesn't look like Scarlet Witch nope but it is and she's she's bad also that's U.S. agent not Captain America oh so it's not Steve Rogers nope man does it matter <laughs> it sure does I can't they don't have a different costume. You can't give them a different name. It's slightly different. U.S. Asian's costume is, I think... I don't care. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk so, about Captain uh, America number 367. Captain America number 367, which does feature Captain America, also features Magneto exacting revenge on the Red Skull. And it's a pretty good issue. Um, it's not It's not bad. Uh, I mean, there's not... They fight. It's very cartoony. Magneto is like, you're a Nazi. My parents were and I were in a concentration camp. You worked for Hitler. Uh, I hate you. Um, they fight. And Magneto's got to like go. He's got to fight, I think, like the android maybe? Or the Red just a Skull, robot. Red Skull quickly realizes that he is outmatched by Magneto. So he runs. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Magneto has to fight his android, which is easy because he's Magneto. And then bunch he has of, to fight a bunch of Red Skull robots, which is easy to finish because he's Magneto. And uh, Captain America is doing some stuff in the background, but it doesn't matter. Eventually, uh, Magneto gets the jump on Red Skull. Um, I guess he's trying to get away on like a railroad car type thing, but it's, you know, it's metal. So uh, Magneto gets it. Uh, Red Skull wakes up and he's underground. And Magneto's like, uh, I am not going to kill you, but I will leave you here with 20 gallons of water, no food, just air and water. I want you to think about what you've done. Bye. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> and then you fade off. Uh, Magneto has a flashlight, and as he as he kind of uh, levitates out of this, this underground uh, bunker, um, Red Skull's face fades from the light and Red Skull is not happy about this. And I'm actually kind of intrigued to read the next issue because it's called The Long Dark. I'm kind of wondering if is this like the Red Skull descending into madness? I don't know, but I think Magneto's in it, so we may very well include it in our list of a stuff. Yeah. It's I I approve of this uh Magneto. He was this is how I believe Magneto would handle this sort of thing. Uh, for the record, I, I actually purchased the next issue uh, off the shelf because uh, it featured Magneto on the cover, but I never read it. Or, I mean, I read it, but I, I don't remember what it was about. So I'll probably also, say that again once we get to that issue. Probably, but I won't remember. And then finally, um, uh, Avengers West Coast. We already covered that. Oh, great. Perfect. We're done. No, I wanted to bring up. Oh, uh, right. I wanted to mention Cloak and Dagger number ten, which was a late addition to the reading list, um, which doesn't feature any X Men, um, but it was an interesting issue because it fe- it says on the cover Cloak and Dagger face the uncanny X Force, and uh, which is exactly what happens in the issue. And it turns out that the X Force is a government funded group. Um, the 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 bad people in the government who tried to get the superhero registration act running uh put their money together and they decided to take some individuals from the army and uh sub- submit them to radiation and cosmic poisoning and whatever to see if they could give them powers and make superheroes out of them 
and then gave them the code names of the X-Men who are believed to be dead. So they are Rogue, Wolverine, you know, Longshot, Colossus. It's the, it's the Australia lineup. Yeah, exactly. And, um, at Cloak, when Cloak and Dagger finds them, several members have already died of radiation poisoning and there's only a few members left and, uh, they fight them and then eventually help them escape and Dagger is able to use her powers to stop the radiation poisoning so that they can go on the run on their own. And now they're still out there. I don't know if they ever come back, um, but uh, it, it was it wasn't. I mean, it's not. It was an interesting. It was an interesting story mainly because it was the Uncanny X Force, and I was like, oh, look at that. Interesting. Uh, I wonder. So first of all, there 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 has definitely been a title called the uncanny x-force right there has to have yes, been there has yes okay so second but that's that's 20 years from when this issue is published but i wonder like is this where is this where um rob liefeld is like x-force <laughs> who knows <laughs> neat name or, or maybe he was like i need a new title and was like well we got we got x-force we've used that before that's that's kind of cool uh, it is trademarked, so maybe that's was like, oh, it's easy. We already own this. Here, just take X Force. Yeah, funny. Yeah, maybe that was Tom DeFalco's doing. His present to Rob Liefeld. Could be. In interestingly enough, um, the characters that are represent that have the code names of the uh, X Men are do not have do not share powers with the x-men they don't some of their powers are completely different um so there's no like parallels there uh, what? Look, i'm looking up the issue online and it looks like this is the only appearance of the majority of x-force in the marvel universe it's weird yeah it looks like all of them actually yep not a single one of these people appear again so this is the final appearance of wolverine uh long shot Storm, Dazzler, Colossus. <laughs> Havoc. You, you heard it here first, man. <laughs> this, is, this is it. Oh, wow. Crazy. Uh, Some of them do change their names to other uh, people uh, at the end because they're like, we shouldn't be calling ourselves these anymore. It'll make us harder to find if we change our names. So yeah. how about that? How well, about those apples? How about them apples? So that was a that was a heck of a last uh, way to kick out Axe of Vengeance. I guess I could tell you how Axe of Vengeance ends. Who cares? Um, <laughs> they uh, the I think somebody somebody gets captured. It's like the wizard or the tinker or somebody, but he has a magic ring to make him go back to the the room where the bad guys are meeting. But after he does that, uh, the Avengers are able to track him to the room, and Loki flips out. It's like. After all this time, I've prepared all this stuff, and now you just let the heroes get to the room. Uh, and then the Avengers show up and beat them. I feel like it's it's weird uh, how um, the they spoil um, Loki in early pages of X Factor, but they never bring it up in any of like what I would consider like acts of vengeance prime. Like, well, they they they. Technically, we did X Factor number fifty a little bit early. Okay. Um, it probably came out this at the same month as same time period as Avengers number West Coast, where the actual official 
reveal is. Okay. That makes more so, sense then. So I think it all it all lines up. Okay. Well, fair enough. Then I stand corrected. I think I could be wrong. That makes more sense instead of like kind of giving it away in X Factor and hoping that nobody reads X Factor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which with the story they were telling, you know, was a was a decent gamble. Yeah. So all right, well, cool, man. All right. Uh, well, Adam, you got anything else that you want to, oh, are, are you, you sure you got, you don't want to talk about more movies or TV we shows or talk about more movies if you want, but I, th- I think, I think we're both tired. Okay. Until next time. My name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is, you know, a movie I've never seen. The greasy strangler, the greasy strangler. I've never seen gone with the wind. And now that movie's fallen, uh, under fire. And I'm like, man, maybe I just never will see that movie. Not for It'll any bad political reasons but just i don't know maybe i just don't need to see that movie and they're already saying that it'll be back with uh with like a notice beforehand saying the depictions of characters in these movies are not representational of what they should be but they're it's it's worthy of discussing i think that they should give it all to george lucas to do a special edition special edition of gone with the wind yes and they can leave him uh edit it however he wants and add all of the cg he wants to bring it up to date to make it his original vision if you will i think they should do a battle royale where they take gone with the wind and they have them fight uh citizen kane and casablanca and the Mm. three of them just go head to head and whatever happens i've never seen any of those movies you've never seen any of those, you, you, you should, all right, from a story standpoint, you should see Casablanca. Uh, one movie that did, I've been thinking about more and more uh, as probably falling under, uh, falling in that trap, or maybe also needing a, a, a disclaimer of some sorts, is um, It's a Wonderful Life. You've never seen It's a Wonderful Life? No, I've seen it, It's a Wonderful Life oh, okay. like a hundred times. But okay, okay. It, at the beginning, <laughs> there's, there's the poor Bailey family who, they're poor, they run a business, but they're poor, and they've got this kind of stereotypical maid. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kind of begs the question of, like, is she there by choice? And then I started thinking about, like, where is Bedford Falls? They don't have southern accents, but I don't know if it's in California or New York or just any town USA. There is a weird thing about that movie in that I don't remember ever that there's a first half of the movie. <laughs> Uh, the only thing I remember is after he is, is revisiting his life with Clarence. That my two favorite, the, my favorite parts of the movie are when they're kids and after Clar- Clarence and after. Yeah. Like everything else in the middle is like, okay, we got it. Yep. Yep. Hot dog. Okay. Then let's okay. Oh, and there's Clarence finally. And then we get the, the movie magic. Yeah. But there's a scene where I think it's, uh, a George. I think it's George, uh, uh, Swat's, the stereotypical maid on the butt as as he's shooing her off to the kitchen to get pie or whatever. Oh, boy. And it's like, man, I oh, I feel like it's falling under a stereotype. And there's uh, um, sexual, Jimmy Stewart. sexual misconduct. Also, if you watch that movie enough, um, there's the scene where... Uh, so uh, spoilers. Uh, <laughs> he he he's he he wants to live. I want to live, or, or whatever the line is. And then he runs back home, and our movie house. And he's always, and he's so happy, and he runs into the house, and 
You know, this is just after he's like blown up at the kids and he goes and grabs Donna Reed and he's just kissing her so hard uh, that I think if you watch it, I feel like Donna Reed's like, like pushing back, like, uh, cut. Even, even as a kid, I thought that was weirdly inappropriate because like, it just looks, it looks over the top or something. I mean, it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. I never. I like. I was never scared for her life or anything like that. No, no, no. I but, mean, they're uh, married, but I mean, it, it's. It, I get it. Like, oh, I've missed you so much, and I. I just saw a world where the kids didn't exist and you didn't exist, and it was horrible. And I, I get like, I want to hug you all, and I love you all, and and kiss you. But he's kissing her so hard and think, so frantically that that it does look like the the woman <laughs> Donna Reed, not not the character she's portraying, is like. Um, can I, Frank Capra, can I get a cut here? <laughs> so as, as a kid, I think that level of emotions made no sense to me. So that was just a really awkward scene, but yeah, I, I can remember it. The final movie thing I'll say before I sign this off, because we, we really do need to sign this off is I have always wanted to do a recut of Groundhog's day in which you cut all the Groundhog day stuff out and you go from uh, Bill Murray going into his bed and breakfast, kind of after kind of being a jerk to Chris Elliott and uh, what's her name, to mm-hmm. the next day where you know he's like saving kids and playing the piano and he's like the talk of the town and uh, wins over what's her name? Is that Minnie Driver? No, it's uh, no. it's that's the woman from The Abyss. Uh, yeah, I don't I can't know. remember her name, but. Because I've watched, that's another movie that, it's it's an annual movie, right? It's the movie you watch on Groundhog's Day, and I watch it every year, and I love it. But I also am like, you know, if you cut all of the stuff in between out, it's like a really weird transition of, he's a jerk. <laughs> all of a sudden, he's super awesome. Andy McDowell, and Andy McDowell's like, oh, let me, she doesn't sleep with him. They they snuggle or whatever, and it's, it's, it's appropriate and everything. But it's, I'd just like to see how that uh, plays. There, there, there was briefly a. It got taken down. It, somebody took it. Took Groundhog Day on YouTube, and they they broke down every time in the movie that he restarts. Mm-hmm. And they they cut that and they made it its own scene. And then they put them all side by side so that the first part of the movie is like just playing in the, in a small little square mm. in the upper left hand corner. Well, and then you get to the you get to the point where he first dies and you you now see the second one alongside the other stuff and it's all and it shows all of them kind of starting the same day uh and the different times that he goes through the day, same days and then things kind of blink in and out as they cover sure. parts that are covered and aren't and and I think it was uh it it shows that the only the the he only reboots like seventeen times or something like that, and uh, it was it was interesting, but it got taken down super fast. I bet there's another theory that shows that says that uh, it's possible that he rebooted like over a duration of like a hundred years. Yeah, yeah, that's that's always possible. <laughs> and too. <laughs> and like we saw the we saw like the seamy parts where he kind of like. He, he plays that girl and, and oh, I love you and takes her back and then they make love and whatever. But then they take it to super dark places where <laughs> Bill Murray gets fed up that Annie McDowell's not giving her attention and he's he's very forceful and it's like, oh, I don't like that theory at all. <laughs> probably goes on a murder spree at some point. That, that probably was in there as well. 
I think it was like one of those YouTube, like, let's consider the movie from a different perspective and, <laughs> you know, went down that path. And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. But I would like to cut out the middle part one day and just watch the first chunk where they get to the hotel and the next day where he does like the amazing soliloquy of Groundhog's Day and plays the piano and does all that stuff. And you I'm sure it would be very that. unsatisfying. You should do that, put it on YouTube, and see how long it takes to get taken down. Not only will it get taken down, but I will be banned from YouTube. No, no, not for a first offense. Mm, yeah, that's probably you, true. You'll probably just get a, a, a cease and desist, a and then you'll take it down. Yeah, I'm probably not going to do that latter part. But one day I will <laughs> edit that together and, and watch it. I mean, it's just one cut. <laughs> yeah. So, anyhow, And then we should, we should start a whole trend of cutting the middles out of all films. Uh, then we need to recut Memento so that it plays forward. No, I think somebody already did that. I think so. I think that's on the DVD. Yeah. You can watch it in reverse. And I think it's not as good of a movie. Yeah, it's a little stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, I think I think we got to wrap it up now. Uh, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Dane room is closed. Yeah.